tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Morning and welcome to Thursday's Tip Today. Alison here with you until 12 o'clock. Coming up on this morning's show, more horror experiences at UHL. What's going to be done and what needs to be done. We hear your favourite memories from your school Debs. Should insurance for dog owners be compulsory in light of recent sheep kills? We'll also have this week's farming news with Farmers Journal editor uh, Katrina Morrissey. We'll also be talking about why is preventative health and beauty essential? That's with Muriel Cuddy who will join us live in studio just after 11 o'clock this morning. We'll also have a small taste of what's to come in this weekend's Down Your Way with Eamon O'Dwyer. The phone line are open this morning. Emma's standing by 1800 or you can text or WhatsApp 083 and we'll be delighted to hear from you this morning. Now yesterday not much has changed news cycle wise. Uh, what's happening at UHL still dominating headlines this morning. Yesterday I spoke to Nina based independent councillor, councillor Shimi Morris regarding the overcrowding crisis particularly at UHL which seems to be the worst affected in the country. Consultants there um, and across the country are also warning that uh, patients will die if something isn't done. And people who attended UHL A&E in recent days have described scenes there almost like a war zone. One lady came forward to us to share her own experience and she joins me now. Breda, good morning. Good morning, how are you? I'm good, Breda. How are you more so, though? Uh, I read um, your text yesterday. I know you gave us kind of a brief outline of, of what you went through at UHL. Could you just yeah. tell our listeners, when were you in attendance there? Uh, the beginning of November. Now, I have been in every month except December in A&E. Um, I have a chronic uh, lung condition. I have anaphylaxis to most medicines uh, it's a rare type of anaphylaxis I have had tumours removed I've had different like complex medical history um, I do need UHL but I will never ever again I'd rather die at home than go into UHL A&E And tell us what happened in November Um like loads of different things have happened uh, since January, January of last year in there. But the most recent one was the beginning of November. Um, I had collapsed here at home. I have a neurological condition now as well. And I ended up with a serious head injury and a broken foot. And I was sent into resource. I was then taken out of resource and put into a zone um, uh, with that's usually people that come out of resource are put into this zone. So it's kind and of like a recovery was, before you're, you're moved to the next area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, it was like I, I had a trolley which I was lucky and um, but I was put up this sort of it's like a little corridor away from um, 
the nurses' station. But to the left would be the nurses' station. But anyway, I, I was put up there and there was an elderly lady in her 80s in front of me to decide um, there was a, a, a free trolley came and there was an elderly man then on the other side. Now, you would have to go on your side to pass by the trolleys. Okay. Um, you couldn't walk ordinary. Now, this, like, there was an adjoining door. It was like a, a fire door that you couldn't sort of get out that way, leading on to another zone. But anyway, I was up in the corner there, and at uh, about half three in the morning, they brought in a, a new patient. Now, um, he was very agitated, um, in his 40s, very agitated, shouting and screaming and different things. And then he settled down. So I sort of turned around and I, I said, I go to sleep. And then he started nudging me and uh, told me to effing wake up. And why was I effing ignoring him? So I, I said, oh, I wasn't ignoring you. I was asleep. So he seemed fine. And then all of a sudden, this darkness came over him. Now, for over an hour, I had no way, I had no bell. There was no staff. I couldn't get the contact with somebody to tell him what was going on with me. Yeah. Now, I'm on oxygen full time. And there was a, uh, and they had the big bottle of oxygen under me. Uh, I had a broken foot, so my foot was in the, in the boot, and I was up on the trolley. So you were completely put, incapacitated. Yes. Now, now he's just across. He's just right beside me. It's like that. He can put reach out his hand to me, and he could put his hand on my face, like because he kept nudging me. Hmm. And so then he stood up, and. For over an hour, he was cursing and swearing at me, um, telling me all sorts and different things. So I, I'm not that wallflower where, oh, someone's cursing at me or it, it's scaring me. Yeah. This particular person, um, he, he stood up then and he got, he's lighter. And he came up to my face with the lighter. And he kept flicking the lighter at me. Oh, my God. And part of me was, if I scream, he's going to set me on fire or he's going to, he can hit me in the face and get me, you know. So I was waiting for someone, someone that I could see to get me help. So I, I, I was just talking nice because I've been warned about with the oxygen to stay away from naked flames and that. Of course. So then he sat back down on his trolley again and this time he lit up a cigarette and he told me he was going to set me on fire. I was in a hospital full of people and there was no one, no one that could help me. And I said, I'm going to meet my, my days here on fire. So I was trying to think and trying to keep him calm and just like 
it was so scary. In my mind, I was thinking, how am I going to get out of here? I had the boot. I said, if I take off the oxygen, because he was so close with the cigarette, or he can grab me, and I haven't got it, like, because of the neurological thing, my balance isn't very good. And I was sort of saying, he'll grab me before I get help. But thank God, he stood up and he stumbled at the end of his trolley. So I made my chance and I screamed, help, help. I said, this man is scaring me. I said, he's threatening to set me on fire. And when I got up to the nurse station, they were all just looking at me like, I I didn't make myself clear because I was actually hysterical at this stage. Mm. So they put me into a a, a sort of, it wasn't even a room, it was where they examined patients across from the nurse's station. And the doctor came up and he just put the cigarettes and the lighter and said, oh, he won't bother you anymore. And I was there, so I said to one of the nurses, look, I want to go home. I am not staying here. I am not staying here. And I explained explained to her, like, I had no oxygen with me. Mm. Like, when I was moved up, I'm on oxygen at home. I had no oxygen. I, I was upset. So... I asked, could I speak to my consultant? I just wanted her to know exactly what has happened to me. Mm. And um, so eventually, thank God my consultant is so good, she came down. And as she was speaking to me, we heard this shouting and screaming and different things going on. And apparently... The elderly lady that was 80, because I was speaking to her son, she was a lovely woman from County Clare. She, um, he had tried to drag her by the two legs of her trolley. Oh, my God. Um, and then security were called at that stage. And the guards, uh, I, Will, my husband um, and I, we contacted the guards. Um like, even before that, that was in the November. In the October, was it October or September, when I was in there um, another time, you're sitting, I didn't even have a trolley this time. I was sitting on a wheelchair, and my oxygen kept running out because it was the small bottles of oxygen. But I had to sort of alert them or different things that my oxygen was gone. Then the the room beside me, the doors were open and I heard the doctor saying to the patient that her husband was moved up to the uh, high dependency unit with COVID but that she had COVID but they were actually going to move her to Nina. So I'm sitting outside, I have no spleen and then I can't get the antibiotics that that would would look after me because of anaphylaxis. Now, anaphylaxis isn't just an allergy. I have to be resuscitated. Like, you know, my throat stops. I I need resuscitation. Mm. And so I called one of them and I said, I'm sorry, but I'm immunocompromised. I'm just after having tumours removed um, from, up in Bowmount with surgery. I 
you know, I, I, I'm warned not to get bugs and not to get this. I'm sitting outside. That doctor came. Now, I know they're so busy. And I know a lot of them, like, it's management. Yeah. Management is the problem in that hospital. But that doctor never washed her hands or anything. She came over and um, inserted a line into me and things. And I mentioned, and she said, well, you have a breathing problem. And I said, I don't have COVID. I'll always have a breathing problem because my lungs aren't right. And I explained. And Mm. she never washed her hands. She never did anything. So again, I got up to leave. My husband came in at half one in the morning to pick me up and my daughter sort of convinced me um, look she said your doctor doctor was really worried about you so we spoke to someone in charge there and she put me into a, a, a part of A&E a, a room on my own and uh, sort of apologised about it but then another doctor came in and said look I'm washing my hands Look, I'm drying my hands. Look, I'm not touching anything. Making a point of it. Yeah. Sarcastically. And for four days, like, the toilet, there's one toilet there. One toilet. And it's always blocked, always dirty, filthy. You know, there, again, the end of November, my son, on his wedding day, I was sick at home here. My temperature was 41.9. My oxygen levels, even on the oxygen, were only coming up into their late 70s. And I contacted my doctor. She said, Breda, you have to go to A&E. And she said, you really need... I said, I'm not. I'm not. I'd rather... She said, you know you can die on your son's wedding day, Breda. And she said, how do you think that will make him feel? And I said, I, I know it might sound selfish, in that, but I can't. I cannot go into the hospital. The main hospital is fine and and all the consultants are brilliant. When when you get past that initial mm. place, I mean, even if you're in a clinic and your consultant says, look, you have to come in, we need you to come in, you don't automatically go, go into a bed. You don't get a bed. You have to, after being at that clinic all day, you then have to go in through A&E, book in through A&E um, to get a bed. And start all over again. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's absolutely crazy. The elderly people that are there, they're wetting themselves, they're silent themselves. God love them. And those that can manage on their feet, they can't get up through the trolleys. You know, it, like, where that zone that I was in, what happened to me there? Now, this zone is like there's people having heart attacks. This isn't your, your, like as a sore toe thing. Yeah. This is like those doctors and nurses are keeping these people alive. They're short staffed, they're overwhelmed. And if you're in a situation like I, I've been in the main hospital where I've had nurses running in crying into the toilet getting themselves together. And it's not over a patient dying or that. It's over the actual whole situation of things going. And there's mistakes happening. I've been given medicine that have caused anaphylaxis in A&E. I wear a band 
that, that nobody seems to when they're rushing or, or different things. And it's only now I can say to them, look, I'm anaphylaxis. Well, what are your anaphylaxis to? And I say, well, they don't even know. I attend an immunologist up in Galway. They don't know, you know, like th- there's a list of stuff that I've had anaphylaxis to. But when I'm in there and now with the lesions on my brain and different things, I'm wondering sometimes, I, like I came home and the doctor has phoned me at home saying, Breda, please advocate for yourself. You have to start advocating. You know, you, you have to stand up for yourself. Mm. I, like, unless I have somebody with me and now with COVID, uh, a lot of people are in there and, they don't have someone with them that, that will stand up for them. Like, my husband has saved my life numerous times. My son has in that hospital where I've been given a medicine and then they're saying, oh, no. Like, someone came over to give me an injection for diabetes. I don't have diabetes. And I was saying it to him. And then I was saying, do I? You know, on top yeah. of everything else, like, have I got it? Like, there's been mistakes are made and mistakes are covered up. And look, those... Nurses and doctors don't come in and say, oh, I'm going to kill Breda Kendi today. You know, they they don't do that. Like, they, they're overworked, understaffed and badly paid. And there's going to be more people dying in that place. And, like, uh, pals came down to me. That's the people, I can't pronounce the word, at the ski. Um, yeah. that the come down. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, she came down... Uh, the day uh, uh, of what happened to me with that um, man. Mm. And, like, she was nearly crying and said, oh, we're so sorry over what happened. That shouldn't have happened or whatever. And then that lady's son was saying, well, what about my mother? Like, they got me a bed because I was more vocal. And I was absolutely so upset over what happened to me. I don't understand why you were moved and he wasn't. Obviously, this was a man who was very volatile and surrounded yeah. by very vulnerable people. Why yeah, wasn't he I, moved? I don't know. And I was told by a member of staff there, this is his third time. His third time being put in with these, you know, patients that aren't well. Like mm. Now, he's obviously is not well himself. Yeah. I don't know his medical history. I don't want, you know, but it, the system is failing him as well, yeah. that he is putting this, because this man did not know what he was doing. I, I, I just knew it was that blank stare. It was like he, he didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know. He could have killed me on that bed. And uh, it would have been, oh, sure, you know, it was an accident or this happened to me. And I'm not going in there to to, to have my final days in, no. in that place. And Breda, have you had to go to hospital since that incident? I was supposed to go the day my son was getting married, the end of November. Yeah. I, I, and uh, my doctor has actually now said to me, look, please, but she said the ambulance won't, and because of me with the anaphylaxis or that, if I need to be resuscitated, I need to get to the nearest centre. So, I'll have to go to UL to get resuscitated. But, if other things, I'll go to Port Leash. Yeah. 
yeah. you know, or I'll go somewhere. I'm have you, you had similar experiences in other hospitals or is, is Limerick just Oh my God, Limerick. No, I've been, I've been in every hospital. I've been in Waterford, I've been in Clamet, I've been in Cork, I've been in Beaumont, I've been in St. James's and I have never, ever come across. It's just chaotic. There's no organisation. Mm. Actually, no organisation. And they're there telling you Oh, you know, you go into the consultant and they're telling you, you know, so much for COVID. Like, mm. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's absolutely, there's no place to shower. You don't get to wash, uh, like, for four or five days when you're on that trolley. Mm. You can't brush your teeth. Just, just, it's so unsanitary. And then yesterday, uh, uh, on top of everything, the, uh, a HICWA, Got in there, like I was in there for the last HICWA inspection and we were all moved off, the place was cleaned, there was uh, it was scrubbed within an inch of its life and we were all being moved off I was moved up to a corridor um, upstairs in a ward, I didn't even, you know I was still on the trolley, but because HICWA had arrived and there was all these phone calls and they were all running around and the decks were cleared. We're all getting moved, like. Yeah. Breda, I'll have to leave it there, I'm afraid, because we're just out of time. But I, okay. I wish you all the best and I, I hope it gets better for you. And I'm so sorry to hear what you went through. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks for talking right. to us, Breda. I know um, she mentioned there about the HICWA report. We're going to talk to that. I just need to take a quick um, ad break. Tanya DeVito McMahon is on the line. Tanya, bear with us. We'll be right with you. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tanya DeVita McMahon is a member of Nina Needs It's AE campaign. She joins me on the line now. Tanya, good morning. Morning, Alison. Good to talk to you, Tanya. Apologies, I know you've been on hold there on the line for no, a while. Fine, fine. To hear reports from Breedan and to to listen to what she experienced at UHL, I'm even though it's shocking and it's horrific, I'm sure it comes as no surprise to you. No, it it comes as no surprise to any of us. And actually, reading or sorry, listening to Breedan's story, I'm sure she must have been the lady that replied to our survey about the, the oxygen tanks. I'm sure that's her when we did our survey before Christmas. Um, no, this is no shock. But you know what it is? To actually hear her story, it's harrowing and it's frightening. And to hear her cry after, it's, it's, it's awful. It shouldn't be happening. And it's, a, it's an absolute disgrace. Now, I saw um, the Midwest campaign for hospital as well were tweeting yesterday and Breda spoke about it. They knew this HICWA inspection was coming to UHL yesterday and because of that, there were there was nobody on trolleys yesterday. No. There was nobody no. in the waiting room. There was no, no ambulances. The decks no. were totally cleared. Totally cleared. We got... Now, what our understanding is that if there is a, a national uh, or a major incident, which they did declare, that HICWA would automatically come and visit. Now, I don't know if that's that what happened and they didn't show up because we're hearing reports that there was no visit. But what we do know is, and um, we have pictures of uh, the A&E being cleared. We were told the healthcare, the cleaning crowd came in and cleaned the place. We have pictures of all the zones practically clear. 
no one waiting, no one on trolleys. Uh, so where did all these people go all of a sudden? That's where what I was going to ask you. Where people? could they possibly have gone? Where did they go? Well, what what we're hearing is that people were sent on trolleys towards, uh, upstairs, out of the way. We also got reports that people were being sent home by taxi uh, that were had been discharged for whatever reason. Uh, they were opening additional surge surge beds, as they call them, in Ennis and Nina. But yesterday there was 11 people on trolleys in Nina and no extra staff. There's no extra staff in Nina, so I don't know how they're going to sort out these surge beds in these other hospitals. It doesn't seem feasible. It doesn't seem possible. And it's just going to turn into a, an almighty shit show. Everything is just going to fall apart. And, the worrying, and, and that's what's happening. Yeah, and the worrying thing is the health minister is <coughs> warning that we haven't even seen the worst of it yet. No, and, and we, we haven't. You, you know yourself, the whole place, the whole country is sick. Yeah. You saw, we saw with Shannon Doc over the Christmas period. Um, they're, they're talking about this uh, winter surge for, for, for months, for weeks. So why weren't Shannon Doc prepared for this? Mm. Why weren't Shannon Doc have the necessary extra people, whatever it takes, to, to deal with the surge that they knew was coming in. So there's no point saying, like, after the horse is bolted. If you know there's a winter surge, put those procedures in place so people don't have to go to the ED. They have to go to Shannon Dock. They get their antibiotics, whatever it is. They go home, they get better. So what's happening is people couldn't get through. People, My own mother was rigging for a full day and night to get an appointment. Uh, we've had screenshots from people coming in with missed calls, 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 Shannon Dock, no answer, no answer, no answer. When they do get through, another two or three hours waiting for a doctor to ring them back or a nurse to ring them back, then another couple of hours to get an appointment. Then you go to your appointment and you're waiting another couple of hours to get seen. Mm. Then you get seen and there's only I can only give you two antibiotics because that's all I have. So the person behind you gets nothing. Yeah. Like... It's unacceptable. It's totally unacceptable. We've been talking about this for years with the campaign and Nina needs to say any and campaigning and fighting to reinstate our E&Es in Ennis and Nina and St. John's because since the reconfiguration, which is basically, it's a fancy word, fancy word, we reconfigurated. No, you shut down the ED. You shut down Ennis. You shut down Nina. You shut down St. John's. And what's happened in those, those last 14 years since that happened? How many people have died? How many people have been waiting 60 hours, a whole day, three days? With, and it's, the thing is, you're going into hospital, you're sick. It's not just you, right? You've got your family. You might have children at home. You might have a job. You, you, might, have, you might be there with your mother, your elderly father, whatever it is. It doesn't just affect that one person waiting. It's a knock-on effect to everyone else, the staff, the porters, the, the doctors. They're, they're, they're at their wits end in there. Yeah. There, could this enough. be, Tanya, could it be the silver lining that we do need, though? Could this be the wake-up call that the HSC and the government need to say, we do need to open Nina? Well, they're all coming out and seeing it now. Like, they're all saying it now. Um, Professor Declan Lyons said uh, the other day when he, he claimed it was a basket case and he said the reconfiguration possible saw a very significant mistake made at the time when direct access to Nina Ennis and St. John's Hospital uh, was withdrawn. Now, that's 14 years ago. 14 years ago. 
So obviously, we're going to need, you know, you upgrade these hospitals, you're going to need diagnostics, you're going to need your cardiac, you're going to need blood, you're going to need consultants, you're going to need doctors. Do it. Do it. Advertise for these positions. Get the infrastructure into place. The money is there to do it. So what is the hold-up? What is the cover-up in UHL? Well, the big... And one of the big problems we have in terms of recruitment, it can take up to nine months to recruit a consultant. Oh, absolutely. How long have they known this for, Alison? Like, we're short. What are they saying now? We're short. Uh, So many consultants. Hang on, I've written down here... Uh, 900, there's 900 vacant consultant posts, right? Offer them a decent wage, a fair deal, people will come and work. Why are the nurses running out of the country? Because they don't want to work in overcrowded ED for crap pay and to be listening to bullshit for management. We saw it yesterday. We saw it yesterday when they cleared out, cleared out UHL. Now, we've had enough of national institutions cover up. We've had, how many of them have we had in in our lifetime that we're covering up, we're covering up, we're covering up. Enough is enough. What we're doing now is we're going to call people out and I'm not talking about the politicians because I'm sick to the teeth of calling out the politicians. The only one in Tipperary that are advocating for this are Shamie Morris and Martin Brown got in touch with us yesterday. They're the two people. No one else. No one else. So any... Anyone who's listening now that voted for any of these other politicians and TDs, they're doing nothing for you. If you want your medical card or you want the pothole fixed, fine, phone them. Phone them. But don't. Don't vote for these people. They are not helping you. They're not standing up for you. And enough is enough. So what we're doing now... Sorry, I'm getting... That's okay. (laughs) No, I'm sick at the moment. I'm running out of breath. What we're doing is we're calling on staff and patients in UHL come and talk to us. Message the Midwest Hospital campaign. Message me, Nanita's A&E. Message me. Everything will be done total anonymity, totally anonymous. Tell us your story because the stories have to get out now. They ha- And they are coming out. We can, we can see it. We can see it on social media. People are telling their story. They're saying what's happening. Uh, we've had messages from News Talk, from Ireland AM, everywhere. People wanting to come and tell come and tell their story. So come and tell us your story. Tell us what's going on. Because the rest of the people need to know the real story. No more covering up. We can't cover up anymore. Why are we covering it up? Yeah. Why aren't they doing anything? I think people are sick of it. Tanya, great to talk totally to you this morning. Alison, thank you so much for having us. All the best Thanks and get well soon. Thanks, Tanya. Thank you. That's uh, Tanya DeVito-McMahon, who's a member of Nina Needs. It's A&E. Joan is on the line with us this morning as well. Hiya, Joan. Good morning, Ellie. How are you? I'm good, Joan. Good to talk to you this morning. What do you make of this situation? I know you contacted us in relation to this HICWA inspection. It's it's sickening to see. Oh, it's, it's pure sickening, totally crazy over there in UHL. I was just listening to Breeda there, your previous speaker, before the last lady, and uh, it was heartbreaking listening to her and what she went through. For God's sake, this is third world as far mm. as I can hear with what's going on down there. And that your last speaker there spoke so much truth as well. And I just hope people will row in behind her and support her group. Now, I can make no sense whatsoever that when the Health and Information and Quality Authority visits the hospital in UHL, I believe trolleys were moved and uh, hidden away. So we hear, and yeah. Of course, then the inspection will say that all is under control there, that this whole thing of patients on trolley is just a media hype. 
this is what my fear is. I don't think they do unannounced inspections, which doesn't make any sense to me at all. Because that's totally crazy. Yeah. They're well prepared. And if you think about it, because of what they actually done, what management done in the hospital, the hospital is missing out on getting help, and help at all because they're given a totally false picture. You're right. And of course, management are only just covering their own back because um, they don't want a black mark on their performance. I keep at the end of the day, part of their brief would be to examine the leadership and performance of the resources there. So they know this. I know this. You know this. And they know this, which is more important. Mm. And of course, they are covering their backs. They don't want the black mark. And you know, we are tired of hearing that all steps possible are being taken to alleviate the situation in our health system. And then you have the likes of this with the management in UHL given a totally false picture of the hospital situation. So in God's name, I throw my hands up and I say to myself, what in God's earth is going on? Is there anyone with any intelligence at all down there in management? Can they think of anyone outside themselves and their own pocket and their own situation? They're not bothered about the patients. They're, the only thing they're bothered, bothered about is their own money at the end of the week or the month or whatever salary they're paid. Yeah. That's all they're concerned with. And looking good. And Joan, of course I, they're looking absolutely shining now. I you know? don't remember us having these issues when the, the you know the, the regional health boards were around and you had the uh, small hospitals dotted yes. everywhere that people could go to. Ali, I couldn't agree more. I, my mantra, exactly. When small hospitals were closed down and downgraded, we were promised this uh, centre of excellence. Yeah. Now, anyone with half a brain that would look at the situation we're in today with our hospitals in our country would say, Hospitals of what? Of disgrace and danger for our sick and vulnerable people. That's what we actually have. And we need to open the A&E in Nina, but we need to resource it as well. Yeah. And that last speaker said we should, our, you know, our public representatives should be lobbying. Our public representatives have gone into hiding as well with the trolleys. Did they take them off with the trolleys to some corridor? Because we haven't heard one word from any of them. And God alone knows they've been on your programme with France so many times that a path worn through the middle of it, singing their own praises about how wonderful they are and what they've got for Tipperary and what they've done for the people. They've done absolutely nothing, Ali. You know it. And yeah, again, I and know it's, And nothing. you know what? It's comparable to COVID as far as I'm concerned because it is a oh, national yes. crisis and people are dying and I don't understand yes. why the government were very quick to come out of COVID and say this is what we're doing and everyone, you know, we're reassuring you, don't panic, yes. everything will be okay, we're on top of yes. it. They're not doing it now. No, they're not doing anything at all. A million has been piped into all these hospitals and there's no accountability for this money whatsoever. Mm. Nothing has improved. Nurses, doctors, etc. They're at the coal face. They're getting nothing on the hard end of the stick the whole time. And I have to just pose the question. Is all of this money going to administrators for yeah. big bonuses like the Irish Water is doing? That's what I see happening in our country. And I've said it before, and I've been held to task for calling these people pen pushers. But that would have been a terminology we would have used pre-technology days. But whether they're on a laptop or a pen makes no difference to me. That money should not be fed into their pockets. It should be said, put in to our health system and into our hospitals where our sick and vulnerable people are being looked after. And That's we're, we're seeing happening. on the news as well today, I mean, Pascal Donoghue and, and uh, Michael McGrath were, were very happy yesterday with exchequer figures being much uh, larger, but much more increased than they were expecting. So surely we have the money there to pump well, into it now. We have the money. And Ali, the money has already been piped in. That's the question I have. Yeah. What has happened? 
but the billions that's gone in. Yeah. That has gone in. Where is it gone? Where is it? How come we can't see it? How come there's no improvements? Things are getting worse, not better. At least when they put the masks on people and they stop people travelling, the COVID numbers dropped. So they know <clears throat> if they take proper steps, something will happen and something can be seen and we can see a reason why we should be doing what we're doing. But I can see no reason for piping. If I hear of any more money going in there, instead of an examination, and I don't mean a big 12 months or 16 months of uh, wondering where did the money go. They know exactly where the money is gone if they look for accountability for it. Yeah. But there's no accountability. That word seems to be a word that's forgotten in the English dictionary as far as I can see. Joe, can I ask you, just before I let you go, my concern now is that all of these horrible, horrific stories that are coming out about what people are enduring and suffering in A&E waiting rooms across yeah. the country, is it going to put people off who are genuinely yes. sick, who need a hospital, that they just yes. won't go in there because they're too afraid? Yeah, absolutely. To be quite honest, I've said to my family, if anything should happen to me, don't bring me near a hospital. And then I have followed it very quickly by saying, well, if you're bringing me, I'll be unconscious because that's the only way I'll be taken there. I would not go there, nor would I let a member of my family go there. I've had my own horrific experiences of hospitals and thanks be to God, it's not the right end of it. But to be honest with you, I would not let a member of my family into any hospital at the moment for any reason. Even for a test, I'd be nervous about going to for a test anywhere of any description, even an X-ray, because that I that as Rita said there, they didn't even wash their hands, and they don't even wash their hands. They do nothing. I had a procedure done myself last year, and I could not believe that the pure lack of cleanliness is the dirtiest place that you could possibly be in. Because if I was to carry on like that at home, my family would be picking up something and be sick. It's as simple as that. No such thing as washing your hands. The old bar of soap and good scrub on your hands and the bit of a nail brush there and give them a good old scrub. Yeah. Them days seem to be gone. OK, Joan, good to talk to you this morning. Thanks, Thanks for joining Ali. us. All the best. Uh, you, keep Ali. those texts coming in to us. Uh, we have a lot coming in. I'll read them when we come back from the break. 083 311 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Just to bring you a taste of some of the messages we're getting in this morning, Anne-Marie says, can't understand why people won't use their own initiative and wear a mask out and about, then some of them won't need to be in hospital at all. Another listener says the biggest problem with the HSC is there are no names. Who is the person over Clonmel Hospital, Limerick Hospital? Um, who is the problem? It's not money or beds. A listener says I was in Nina Hospital a few years ago and HICWA were coming. They were handing out packets of wipes to patients. Another listener, if someone of importance is visiting a hospital, they clear the corridors of people on trolleys. It happens every time. Uh, another listener says public sector services always singing the tune that they are understaffed. Can the question be asked how many public servants are on long-term sick leave or out sick compared to the private sector? We have friends who are always out of work in the public service. On WhatsApp, a listener says why are all our TDs gone so quiet? But I guarantee if there was an election coming up, they'll all be knocking on the door to see if you're okay. Uh, one listener says, my brother was in Limerick before Christmas, was on a chair in A&E overnight. He's a diabetic with multiple other health issues. My sister had to bring him in breakfast as no food was offered. Can't understand why the patients weren't offered food. 
another listener says, Tom and Thurless says, this is depressing radio listening at this time of the day. It's not a way to start the day. Sorry to hear that, Tom, but, you know, this this is a huge issue and we should be roaring it from the rooftops because we're, we just can't put up with it anymore. This isn't the health service that we're paying for and this isn't the health service we deserve. So it's it's time we stood up and, and made ourselves known and... It just can't continue on the way it is. Pauline joins me on the line now. Hiya, Pauline. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, Pauline. Good to talk to you. Now, you've yeah. had your own experience. I know it wasn't in Limerick. Uh, this was in Tullamore, I believe, was Tullamore, it? Tullamore, yeah. On Christmas night, I took very ill. And uh, we couldn't get Shannon Dock and we couldn't get an ambulance. And I had to get a family friend to drive me to Tullamore. And once you got there... Excellent. Was it? I was treated with utmost dignity. The staff couldn't be nicer. Everyone was so, so good. And I was seen very, very quickly. Mm. So your experience then would be a little bit different than from Limerick. Do you think it's it's because maybe you you bypassed the, the main hospitals and went to... Oh, I, would I, you I'd consider Tullamore to be smaller? I, I, I wouldn't go anywhere else on Tullamore. Yeah. What do you make then of what you're hearing about people's experiences? Disgusting. Yeah. yeah, shocking. Horrific. Would it put you off going to hospitals? Not to Tullamore, no. No. No, no, not to Tullamore. So your experience was very positive? Oh, brilliant. Okay, Pauline, that's good to hear and thanks for telling us that. Good to talk to you today. Bye-bye. All the best. Thanks, Pauline. Uh, Another listener says on text, the reason we have a problem with the overcrowding in hospitals, it started when they closed down all the district hospitals all over the country. Uh, Fianna Fáil took the decision to close them. They were to blame. Keeping district hospitals open would have freed up beds in the now, as they're called, university hospitals. Uh, When I worked in the district hospital in Thurles, we fought to keep them open, but the powers that be took no notice. That famous word, commerce, our commence doesn't exist anymore. John is on the line there now. John, good morning. Morning, how are you? Good to talk to you this morning, John. Um, We've had so much reaction from listeners today about their experiences in hospitals. Do you think it's enough of a wake-up call now for the HSE and the government to finally act on it? Well, if they don't wake up now, Alison, at this stage, I don't know what to say. We're in serious trouble because it is in crisis point. I mean, the words crisis, uh, chaos, War zones have been used. I mean, I never heard this kind of terminology before when you're talking about the health sector. And we in, in the University Hospital here in Cork, we had a man the other day. He was there three days sitting on a chair in the 70s. I mean, this is not acceptable. I mean, at any age, I mean, sitting in a chair for three days, it doesn't matter whether you're 70 years of age or 17, that's not good enough. Mm. And that's farcical. It, it's like a bloody pantomime, I listened there. What went down down below there in Limerick Hospital there. Well, it was in crisis mode, right? And all of a sudden, because there was a HICWA inspection, everything was tidied up. Yeah. And I tell you, I'm going to say something now, and some people might think uh, that I shouldn't be saying it. But part of management for one side, they're a disgrace, they're not doing their job, right? They're only, it's, it's like political healthcare, that's what it is. As one lady said previously there, Alison, they're just looking after their own backside, right? I mean, they want to be the good boys in the class, right? But... I'm afraid the medics, that includes the nurses, the ward sisters, the people, the consultants and everything, should refuse point blank when they're told there's a HICWA inspection coming tomorrow or whatever yeah. and everything is tidied up. They should refuse point blank to cooperate and say, no, 
We are not doing that. They can come in here and see this place that we have to work in every day as consultants, as doctors, as nurses, right? We are not going along with this pantomime anymore mm. because it's absolutely ridiculous. It goes back to the war zone in the minute the hit will leave. And anybody, these, these announced uh, uh, checks are absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, the Minister for, for Health, he, he was elected, not as Minister for Health, as a TD, but he became Minister for Health. He should be going around the country, walking into hospitals at 1 o'clock in the morning and to see what's going on for himself. But this is not happening. And at this stage, I mean, I think it should be taken away from one individual. No, let's but, Jan, remember... if this was the private sector, those people would be fired. Look, they'd be gone. They'd be gone completely. They'd be out the gap. I mean, it wouldn't be tolerated like you I mean. You couldn't run your radio show like this. I mean, nobody could run in anything in private business but this. I mean, these people are elected by the people of this country to do a job. Now, if they can't do the job, well, get the hell out of it. Simple as that. I mean, as you say, if it was the private sector, it wouldn't be tolerated. At this stage, I think we need... Uh, crisis management. We need to bring in people from the outside, Alison, because yeah. obviously electing people, the likes of Donnelly and the rest of them, we've had it all with Mary Harney going all the way back. We've had Umbi Hall Martin, who uh, abolished all the health boards and created the no monster that we have, the HSC, which seems to be answerable to nobody. Mm. John, we'll have to leave it there for this morning. Good to talk Thank to you. you. All the best. Thanks, John. Thank and I know I've said it a couple of times. I'm like a broken record when it comes to Waterford. But once it, it came out, the reports about Waterford and the fact that they haven't had someone on a trolley since March of 2020, when that was made public, I don't understand how members of the HSE weren't in cars r- just rushing down there to try and understand and investigate why that is the case and implement those kind of procedures in hospitals all over the country. Uh, just to bring you some texts in on WhatsApp, Bridget says our health services are so bad that our vet service for cattle is much better. I had occasion to call Shannon Doc for a person who'd collapsed at home. At the same time, our son rang a vet to attend a cow with a calving problem. The vet attended the animal and delivered twin calves by section before Shannon Doc even rang me back. I'd rang them three times and told each time that we will call you back. Bridget, that is incredible. Uh, just to bring you a couple of more, Elaine says, went into CUH on the 19th of October for day surgery. Nearly three months later, I'm still attending a doctor in Cork. A mistake was made, and as a result, I have 22 stitches still inside me. That's from Elaine. Uh, keep those texts coming in to us. 83 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today. We're discussing the crisis in our health service this morning. Just to bring you some of the texts we've been getting in. A listener on WhatsApp says was in Clonmel just before Christmas. It was shocking. I left and came home. I've never felt so alone and afraid of my life. I cried for two days after my experience and I'm not an elderly person. Now, the listener says, we all know the health service is in crisis, but what are people doing for themselves? Why aren't we all wearing masks, taking the vaccines available, stop smoking and drinking and the massive intake of sugar and junk food? Why are they not trying to improve immunity and reduce illness? As well as the health services, people need to take responsibility for their own health. Listener says when we had what they called a crisis at Dublin Airport, there was uproar in the Dáil. Health issues at the moment are not getting the same uproar. It's unreal. 
A listener says we're in a very black place with our health service. Phoned the GP yesterday at 3pm. No appointment. Was told to ring after 9 today as they don't do appointments the day before. Rang at 10 past 9 today. No appointment available. Now I have to go to A&E. This is where most of our overcrowding comes from. GPs not doing their job. Listener says, I'm furious to hear Breda's story. I lost my father in 2013 and my brother in 2014. Both were proven negligent in court and were very much avoidable. In that calendar year, 2013, the HRC paid out £56 million in compensation. Imagine what we could do to improve our already failed system. It's not going to change overnight. Another one, a HICWA personnel are listening to our radio shows and stories on the ground as well. What I can't understand is why they don't go through each section of UHL and highlight the problems and mismanagement in each area to give a full, real picture of the services uh, that us public are receiving. What is the reasoning behind the management covering up the fact that there are trolleys of patients left all around the hospital? Evelyn joins me on the line now. Good morning, Evelyn. Morning, Alison. How are you? I'm good, Evelyn. Good to talk to you this morning. Now, your um, experience was to do with Shannon Dock. Tell us what happened. Yeah, that's right. Um, I suppose on Stevens's day, um, the night, I suppose, I just started sneezing and whatever. thought it was just a common cold. Um, I suppose we're used to not going to the doctor unless you really have to. Mm. So I was in bed for three or four days that week and I kind of got a bit better at the weekend. And then on the Sunday... It was just the cough was just dreadful and a lot of phlegm and all that. And then bank holiday Monday, I woke up and I just thought, this is going nowhere. Now, I had been taking the usual meds, the night, the limb sips and all that kind of stuff. And on the, but the tiredness, so I back to bed on Monday and I just said to my daughter, we have to ring Shannon Doc. And again, I'd never ring Shannon Doc or anybody because you'd just be thinking, you know, it's out of hours, it's busy times and whatever. Yeah. But I had no choice. I never felt as bad, I suppose, in my whole life. And so we got through around three o'clock. Um, which was, it was quick enough. There was no delay there. The girl came on. She took all my details. Uh, she told me somebody would ring me back in an hour and a half. And they did. After four o'clock, um, Shannon Doc rang me, took my details. And um, she asked me, had I COVID? And I said no, because I had done the COVID test every second day and I didn't have it. So she said to me, I'd have to ha- did I have my wood for Monday? So I said it was up in the kitchen or whatever. So she said not to come without it because I wouldn't be seen. I said, fine. Um, then she proceeded to tell me that there was no appointment in Thurless. And I said, at all this evening? And she said, no, they're booked up. You'll have to go to Nina. So I said, fine. So then she proceeded to tell me I was getting an appointment at 20 to 10 on Monday night. Oh my God. And yeah, which I couldn't believe because this was like, we say half four. Then she said to me, um, I was, because my condition was urgent she was going to put me in for i was to be there at quarter past six and she guaranteed i'd be seen by seven o'clock and to ignore the text that i was going to get for 20 to 10 right and i thought this was great so i got myself out of the bed my daughter drove me over now i did say to her you know we probably will have to wait and i suppose we are very tolerant irish people that we are waiting and waiting and used to the queues which time has come just to stop we have to just say stop now so anyway, we drove over. There was no queue in Thurless when we were passing. There was no ton of cars or anything. We got to Nina anyway, and um, we found the place. There was one man sitting in a car. Um, when we drove in, there was a sign up to say, please check in and then wait in your car. 
So I got out to check in and as I did, a lady was coming out, obviously going to the car that was there and a man opened the door for her. So then he's beckoning me and I said to him, oh, I'm just checking in. And he said, no, 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 you're grand. Come in, there's nobody here. I'm going, my God. So I thought, fine. So I went in and um, took my name and then the doctor called me in. And through my, um, at that stage, I was finding it hard to breathe. And I suppose that's where my, it's all in my chest, if you like. Yeah. So he went through the thing with me and um, he just said to me then, yes, yes, you have a chest infection and you have a bad sinus infection. And I'm thinking, well, I kind of knew that myself. Yeah. And then, now the one thing I will say that I couldn't understand was there was a trolley for, for meds there that was just like something out of Beirut. There was just tablets everywhere on the trolley. There was tablets on the floor. There was one tablet in no covering or anything. Like an open tablet? An open tablet. On the, yes, there was on the floor. There was another tablet in a kind of a little dispenser thing, just an individual tablet. He had two bags of tablets bursting out of them. So then he proceeded to tell me that um, he did my prescription, gasoline, my chemist, and then he said, um, I can't give you anything tonight. Oh. No, I did. I have to say... I just wanted to cry. Yeah. And I looked at him and I said, are you actually joking? I said, I need something. I wouldn't be here if I didn't need something. And he said, so kind of fiddled around in his bag. And then he said, no, no, nothing. <gasps> then he looked in this magic, as I call it, the Bandora trolley. And he's looking through things there. No, I've nothing to give you. Now, I mean, I'm not a medical person, but I mean, the most common things that you would have to have is an antibiotic and of the steroids. Course. Yeah. And I mean, who was there to top up the trolley if he was that busy? Nobody. So I looked at him again and I said, are you giving me nothing? And he goes, oh, in the morning, half nine, you'll be able to pick this up in your chemist. Oh, what and was I the point of going him, in there in the first place yes, then? I said to him, I said, what was the point of coming? But wait for this. And now he didn't really react. There was no reaction, which was fine, I'm thinking. And then I said to him, um, can I get a letter for work? Because I was due to return to work yesterday after Christmas. And he looked at me and he said, no, I don't do letters. Oh. And I said, what? And he said, no, you get that from your GP. But I said, surely the point of me being here is that I'm not going to be clogging up a GP's place tomorrow. And this is where the issue is. There's no giant up thinking. So, like, you go to Shannon Doc to avoid going to A&E or going to your own doctor, obviously, the next day. Mm. And then they can't give you something to start with. Then they can't give you a letter for the doctor, which means you have to go back to your doctor and obviously pay for your letter for, for work. So then I just said to him, I said, I, can you seriously not give me anything tonight, a painkiller, anything? And he just goes, no. And he said, you can get your receipt at the desk, pay your money here. Oh. So I, I paid my money. I went out and the guy outside, nice guy in the reception there. I told him, I said, I'm really sorry. I said, I'm really sick, I said. But I said, this system is a joke. I said, people are going to die. I said, I'm going home now very sick with nothing to take until half nine in the morning. Oh my God. He apologised, but I mean, it's not his job. But what's going to happen? Like, I can't, I just, oh, I was so cross. I was so cross and sick, obviously. Mm. But, like, and then when I heard about UL on, on uh, and no chemist, because I said to him then, is there no chemist I can get this in? I mean, why is there not a chemist beside the Shannon Docks or yeah. a giant onto the Shannon Docks that you go then and get your medication? I mean, the system is just so inefficient. It's unreal. I mean, where are the people that are managing these? What are they doing like? They're not managing it, certainly not. I mean, there was nobody there, you know. How are you doing now, Evelyn? I have to say, I was up then, needless to say, at the crack of dawn on um, Tuesday to get the, the steroids. 
and I've taken my even today now, now yesterday I noticed a huge improvement yesterday I actually was out of bed yesterday and I'm even talking now before this I was just wheezing oh. wheezing was all uh, now I've never I have to say I'm in my 50s and I have never been as sick as I was uh, when I went to Shannon Dock on Monday it's, um, you're totally let down by the system you know yeah. you work you pay your VHI you pay your doctor and whatever and for what it's got I wouldn't go to Shannon Dock again it's got to that stage. It would I mean, kill me now to pay that. I can't imagine how you felt handing over money for that. I wanted to cry. Yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to cry first that I was going home with nothing. And yeah. then I'm thinking, I'm giving you 50 euros to tell me I had a chest infection. In a nice way, I could have met somebody in the street who would have yeah. told me, you know, you have a chest infection. <sighs> Something has to give. Like, they have to wake up. You know, that poor girl that died in UL there before Christmas, there's nothing about it. People are dying and they nobody cares. We're in a health system that nobody actually cares. People are getting paid to management. They're throwing the money at the HSE all the time, and I see it there, you know, all the budgets, and we're doing this. And, I mean, we have a lovely new centre now in Thurles. What good are these centres if people can't get in to be seen? A basic chest infection. Can you imagine if it was something life-threatening that I had on Monday night? Yeah. And uh, the problem is now the the health minister, Stephen Donnelly, I suppose he is trying and he's trying to get doctors to be rostered on weekends, but he's getting pushback now from GPs because they said they don't want to work weekends. But people don't earn sick nine to five Monday to Friday. This is it. And the more than I mean, I knew it was over Christmas. And again, you don't like ringing out of hours. Like, but yeah. I mean, if you're sick, you're sick. You you can't help it. And I mean, Stephen Donnelly, I mean, I saw him there the other evening on the television telling us, oh, we haven't hit the, the winter pandemic yet. What is going to happen when we hit the winter yeah. pandemic? That's no good telling us that. Or Leo Varag for telling the, the parents of that girl in Limerick that he's going to have a big investigation into it. Mm. What investigation is going to sort out that their daughter has died? It's not good enough. Yeah. Evelyn, no, it's just dreadful. Good to talk to you this morning, and yeah. I wish you a speedy recovery. Hopefully, you're Thanks over very the worst much, of it. Alison. Okay, thank you. All the best. Bye Thanks, bye. Evelyn. Uh, Tracy is on the line with us now. Tracy, good morning to you. I know you had an experience in Clonmel A and E recently. Could you tell us what happened? Um, yes, I was. Uh, I was in there last Thursday. I had a fall a pel- with a pelvic injury. Mm. Now they weren't sure if I had a fracture or not, but for starters, they didn't give me any much pain medication per seasonal was it even my blood pressure was up yeah. due to the injury and the nurse asked me she's like do you have blood pressure issues I was like no I'm in a lot of pain but she did nothing about it and I said is there any way I can get something to help me walk no the doctor has to see it like, okay and I so I struggled along hobbling walking because so they the had pain to was very severe for you to get a walking aid, you're saying a doctor yeah. had to see you before or you. Or even a wheelchair. In the end, I ended up refusing to walk because I had been sitting on a chair out in the A&E, and I, I was in so much pain yeah. at that point that I was like, "Nope, I'm just not doing it. I can't." Uh, how busy so was when it the doctor there when eventually you were there? called me? It, they were absolutely hammered. I was eight hours waiting to see the doctor after seeing the nurse waiting, and about an hour and a half to see the nurse. And there was others like beside me. One woman had chest pains. Another woman had gallbladder pains. And how short-staffed was it there? It was severely short-staffed. Like there was one nurse doing the intake. And then there was, I'd say, two doctors. That was why. How were they supposed to cope with the influx of people that are coming in? Like there's hundreds going in. Yeah. It's not their fault in a way because... They're so short-staffed. 
Do you know what I mean? It's like it's putting a band-aid on a bullet wound, isn't it? It's it just... is putting a band-aid on a yeah. bullet wound. Like, I asked them how busy were they over the Christmas, and they said they had never seen it so busy. It, they were absolutely inundated with people. It's, it's, you know, it's easy to know what to do. We, we know what needs to be done, but, but is it going to be done, and is it going to get the reaction it deserves yeah. from government and the HSC? Oh, that's yeah, the worry. really. That is it. They need to start getting more doctors on. And, in, and nurses into these hospitals are maybe getting reopening hospitals again in the lower areas like Cashel, Thurlis, Nina, getting that back up and running the way it used to be. Yeah. Well, at then, least to take the, the influx of people that are coming into the main hospitals at the moment, at least relieve yes, the pressure and take there. take the pressure. Yeah. yeah that, that's probably what it is and take the pressure off it because if I could have travelled to Cashel and get an x-ray there... I probably would have went there instead. Yeah. How are you doing now? I'm not doing too bad. In the end, he gave me crutches because he told me it was a ligament injury. Oh. I'm still extremely sore. Yeah. So I am going around with crutches now for a while. I don't know exactly what it means because I have a pre-existing condition on my pelvis which isn't helped by this. Mm. But I what know. can I do? It's it's a difficult one. Tracy, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. All the best, Tracy. Uh, listeners saying, why isn't the Limerick Fire Chief calling for Limerick A&E to be closed? As a firefighter myself, I know the dangers of obstacles in our way with having to deal with a fire. There will be multiple casualties if a fire ever breaks out there. Uh, now, from what we know from uh, news reports this morning, the fire chief was in Limerick and conducted um, an inspection there, I believe, yesterday. But a report on that won't be seen or won't be published until next week, which you, you wonder, is it going to be too late then? And it's going to be an old inspection by that stage. So so what can be done? Keep those texts coming in to us. Uh, 83 or 1800-938-007. We're back after this. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. Some shocking texts coming in this morning. Listen to this one. A friend of mine started working for the HSE last year in a clerical position and couldn't believe how little work she was expected to do. Coming from a high-intensity background, she can see so much double jobbing and a waste of staff and resources. She finds it very hard to put down the day and one's out. It's 100% down to terrible management and there are far too many of them, she said. Another listener says, why are the government allowing the hospital situation to get to this horrific stage and then, but only then, open up the smaller hospitals to help free up the overcrowding? Why? How many people from all over the country will go out to march in the protest this month in Limerick for our hospitals? How many more of our stories about our health situations are going to be told before something will actually begin to be done? Uh, another listener says, where is the health and safety in these hospitals? Are they not doing their job? Also, what's happening to all these surveys that are taken after a stay in hospital? And finally, another listener says, the HSC and HICWA are all government bodies. Neither one will criticise the other. And Leo Varadkar thinks we have a good health service, but it could be better. 
Keep those texts coming into us 083 311 or 1800 Now we're changing tack for a little while and I'm sure as you know it was in the headlines this week. Another farming family in Tipperary have been hit by a serious sheep kill. More than 70 sheep were lost following a dog attack in Lora over the weekend. Uh, this latest attack I think it, it's posed the question which was asked yesterday should all dog owners be compelled to have insurance. For more on this, I'm joined by our vet, Marie Lee of Aravets in Tiptown. Marie, good morning. Oh, Marie's not there. She must have been dropped. All right. OK, we'll try Marie there again. Um, you can keep those texts coming into us predominantly this morning, of course. It is um, to do with the health service. And Evelyn spoke to us about her experience in Shannondock. And a listener got in touch with us um, about that and said, I had my daughter in Shannondock in Thurless the Wednesday before Christmas. Shannondock handed me steroids for her. He sent the prescription to the chemist for an antibiotic, which was fair enough. But at least she had her steroid handed to her. I paid the 50 euro and her chest infection improved uh, very quickly. So why wasn't that lady handed medication? Shocking treatment. It obviously depends on the Shannon Doc you meet. It's just not good enough. And where are the management? Now, our vet, Mairead Leahy, is back on the line. Hiya, Mairead. Hi. Good to talk to you this morning. Happy New Year to you. Many happy returns. And unfortunately, we're starting off, <clears throat> beg your pardon, with uh, another sad story. And that's another sheep kill in Tipperary, this time in Lura. And the question being raised, should all dog owners be compelled to carry insurance? Where do you stand on that? Do you think it's something we need to start thinking about? Um, well, I I really encourage it with anyone that comes into me. The first thing I kind of really encourage is that they take out pet insurance. Um, I suppose from my point of view, I encourage it from a medical, you know, a medical point of view. Yeah. if anything happens a pet <laughs> that they have cover but in recent times I have been um, saying it from a public liability point of view as well um, the, a lot of people aren't aware you know even if a dog runs out in the road and causes a car crash and there's damage done to the car the owner is 100% liable for that and you often hear people saying oh god they hit the dog and they went on and you know you know, obviously that's a really, really bad thing to do morally. But mm. um, from a pet owner's point of view, if there was any damage done to that car, they're 100% liable for that. Um, so I've had a few cases where um, damage has been done to cars and owners have had to pay out for it. Um, I guess in these sheep attack situations, um, the dogs are unidentifiable. There's no microchips probably in them and that. So you're back to the very, very basics with that. And yeah. I don't know from an insurance point of view whether that would be, whether there would be some kind of, um, what would you say, um, omission for that if the dog is not under the control or, you know, would yeah. there would, would an insurance company um, pay out? I, I, I don't know. That's more of an insurance question. And isn't that the big problem, I think, with these sheep kills is very often the the, the dogs will, will kind of hit and run. So yeah. they're gone before you even realise what's happened. Yeah. And to have your dog insured, you have to have them microchipped. Yeah. Um, so a lot of these dogs that are doing these attacks, um, you know, if they were microchipped, um, this would be a big help in the situation because, you know, there's an owner held accountable. Um, but I think in a lot of these sheep attacks, the very, very basic of dog ownership isn't even being adhered to as in microchip and license and all that. So unless those basic things are being enforced, I'm not sure where insurance will come into it um, with it, you know. Yeah, and I know 
know, Katrina Morrissey from the Farmers Journal will be joining us later on in the show so she can maybe talk us through the legalities for farmers yeah. in that scenario. But when it comes to insurance, is public liability always included? Because I think people are under the perception that... Um, the, the insurance that I use for my dog Milo is Allianz and... Um, Public liability is included, okay. third-party public liability is included up to €240,000. Okay, that that's good yeah. then. I mean, yeah. but do you think though, I mean, we, we have the dog licensing system in this country as well, which, you know, all dog owners are supposed to have a yeah. license, but many of them don't. And, and that's the problem as well with insurance, that some people will just say that this is an unnecessary cost that I don't really need. It's an unnecessary cost, but at the same time, I think everyone who's taken on a pet should really factor that into the cost because, first of all, it will cover your it will cover um, medical expenses when you need it for your pet. Um, secondly, the public liability aspect. They also do things like cover, you know, if the dog was missing, you know, like a reward or things like that. Some co- insurance companies cover it, and I think as pet owners. Um, I, I think it's a responsibility that we should take on. The problem is is that, you know, with microchip, licensing and all that, the rules are there, but I don't think the manpower is there to yeah. enforce them. Like, even from a vet point of view, like, I have dogs that come in microchipped here, but, like, you know, it's not my... I'm not I'm not allowed, you know, say to someone, like, you know, it's illegal for your dog to have a mi- not to have a microchip, you know, and enforce it. Like, it's not... You know, I'm not allowed to enforce that. Do you think um, you should be able to? I don't know if that if that would help, you know, um I don't know what way I don't know what way that works legally, but yeah. like I always remind people that it's illegal to have a dog without a microchip, you know, that yeah. all dogs are meant to be chipped. So I always do remind people, but I think from a legal point of view we are like we're it's not our responsibility to enforce it and we're not really meant to enforce it, you know. Mm. Um all we can do is let people know and if the manpower isn't there like the dog wardens at the minute are so overrun with stray dogs and people um phoning you know to to you know hand over their dogs the pounds like they don't have a free minute to actually do like patrolling you know calling into people and checking on microchips and licenses and all that they don't have the time to do it i suppose the problem is with these sheep kills is from in most cases it's probably a dog that's in the neighborhood or in the area Exactly, and it, like it's probably more than likely considered a stray dog in inverted commas. So somebody has not taken responsibility for the dog. Do you know? Yeah. It's not. It's not your small white terriers that are inside being looked after that are doing it in general. Do you know? Mm. Um, could I ask you then as well? Um, in terms of of the sheep kills, I know we tend to focus on what needs to be done from the dog owner's perspective. Yeah. But how, for you, who's someone who's probably called out to these kind of things fairly regularly, how devastating is it to see the damage that can be done? Um, look, I've been involved in sheep farming on a personal level at home, and we had sheep for years and years. And I can just tell you that the absolute and devastation that it puts through farmers and families when they think there's a dog near the sheep, the dog may not have even done any damage at that stage, but for a dog to run through a field and not go near the sheep can cause untold damage without them even touching the sheep. Yos can lose lambs, mm. um, the stress, they all run into a corner um, and they try to get through fences and all that. So that's even without a dog touching them. I, I can't imagine what those poor children like to you know if there's children involved, even the farmer herself, like a lot of work goes into rearing sheep. Yeah. <laughs> From the minute they're born, little lambs, a lot of them might be hand fed, you know, there's a lot of man power goes into rearing a lamb um, to a certain stage and to get yoles in lambs. So 
like my heart goes out to anyone that that happens to. It's it's completely complete devastation. And from a veterinary point of view, there's actually very very little you can do because mm. the injuries are often so drastic, and sheep die weeks later from shock and injuries that happen to them. You know, at that time. And we're heading into lambing season now, so I mean, all we can yeah. do is appeal to dog owners just to make sure that yeah, and even dogs little pet dogs on leads, like just don't walk them even near the sheep. You know, just yeah. just stay away from the field altogether. Your dog mightn't chase the sheep, but you'll see all the heads will come up. They'll be looking around. There might be a little bit of stamping of the feet, yeah. and then they'll run, and that's where the problem um, happens. Maraid, good to talk to you this Thank morning. You. Thanks for that advice. Thanks a million. That's Mairead Leahy there from Aravets in Tipperary Town. Uh, Just to go back to some of the texts we're getting in on the health system. Uh, Listener says medical card holders and GP card holders, not all, but some are clogging up GP appointments because they don't have to pay going to a GP with every little sniffle they have or their kids have. And that's 100% happening. Something also needs to be done about this. A listener says it took six days and nights to get to a ward and spoke to many people waiting. 194 were waiting in A&E as Shannon Dock would not see them. Um, Another listener says, I had to go to UHL with someone who was so sick to say it was third world. Six nights spent in A&E in uh, Wing C. I counted 18 trolleys with elderly people. The rooms were not cleaned as auxiliary could not get carts in. Old people lying with nappies all alone asking for help. Nurses and doctors either uninterested or just left them. I spent nights dressing their beds, ringing relatives as they had to leave to give updates on their loved ones. It was so so awful. Uh, another listener says they really are a useless shower who don't care for the people of Ireland. This is the government they're referring to. My son-in-law phoned for an ambulance last July for my daughter. They live about four minutes from the hospital in Clonmel. None available. By the time one came, my 37-year-old daughter was brain dead. I had to travel to say goodbye to her. The longest and hardest journey of my life, my heart's broken for her two little boys who now have to grow up with no mammy. It's not the staff, it's the crap that's running the country. They disgust me. How many deaths are they responsible for? And uh, plenty more coming in like that. You can keep those calls coming in to us. 083 311 311 or 1800 Now, uh, to lighten the mood, I think, a little bit, we were discussing yesterday about the Debs. And this was on the foot of Sarah Thornton and our discussion with her from Nina Arts Centre. They have an exhibition coming up in Nina. And it's focusing on the history and culture of the Irish Debs. We put it up on our social media yesterday. It got a huge response from people reminiscing about their own Debs experience. And some of them join us now just to talk about their own experience. Tammy's on the line. Tammy, good morning. Good morning, Ali. How are you? I'm good, Tammy. Good to talk to you this morning. Could I be so bold as to ask you, when did you have your Debs? I had my Debs in 1986. Uh, not that far. Not that I far. Have to to... Go that way, but I still remember it. <laughs> and tell me, when you compare it to kind of now, what do you, is it generally the same? Has it just the fashion that's changed, or it, is I it usually different? It's more the fashion that has changed. Yeah. It's not so long ago since my own daughter met her dead. And there wasn't much of a difference, only that they wore a lot more brighter colours than what we wore. Um, we were very um, sedate in the colours. I remember wearing it kind of an icy sugar pink dress well Lovely. anyway because my colour and I loved the film Pretty in Pink and I wanted to be like Molly Ringwald how sad but anyway that's where I wanted to be uh. I wanted to be and I had a beautiful pink dress and I had 
pink lace gloves and um, a beautiful pink little uh, headdress thing on my hair. My hair was short, but my hairdresser had had styled it and had this little pink little um, headpiece in it, and it was I was. Oh, I'm really Absolutely picturing lovely. Molly Ringrose now, yes. actually, when she yes. said that, yeah. Yes. And who and did I you bring? I brought my friend Jar. He was, and he is still a gentleman, um, a very good family friend, uh, out-and-out gentleman. He was so kind and so nice and brought the flowers and the chocolates for my mother, Lord oh. of mercy on her. And it was a lovely night because my mum... I was her only daughter and she had a little party in the house before I went for my Debs and the neighbours and my aunts and um, my brother, Lord mercy on him, he had special needs. We had a lovely little family thing and photos were taken. I have some beautiful photos of my mum, Lord mercy, and my brother and my dad and my, you know, family coming in and like it was a big thing. It was nearly as big as when I got married. Like, you know, that sort of way it was. Um, I was her only daughter and, you know, she made a big fuss. And, it's like a um, wedding, isn't it? Yes, it was. Like, the innocence of it, like, yeah. you know, and everyone coming in to see, I know you look lovely and, you know, the picture's been taken and, you know, then you went into the school and you were met in the school and then you were going in to get your, uh, your formal picture taken inside. I remember queuing up and the giggles with us all in our dresses yeah. and, you know, everybody looked stunning, you know. Um, you forget like how, said, how part of, how unique it is to us because yeah. like Sarah was telling us yesterday, they don't have anything like it in England or in the UK. It's starting to come in a little bit now but because we, we've always had it, we just think it's a normal thing but it's so unique and so lovely. It is and it's a lovely way to finish your school year. Yeah. I think it's, it's the last time you're going to actually be with the people you were in school with for the five to six years you were in secondary school. Mm. You know, I know some of you have been with from primary school, but mostly it's people you meet in your secondary school years, and it is kind of the last time everybody gets together. Yeah, you know, it's a shame we don't do it more often. I always think instead of doing the the school reunions or the class reunions that I think most people kind of have dread, wouldn't it be lovely to have kind of a, a Deb's part two as part of your? I think class it would reunion. be a fabulous idea. Yeah. For I think it would be a fabulous idea. And we'd all get our hair done, and we get limos, and it'd be great. <laughs> We'd be, yeah, exactly. The Hummers, the whole lot, yeah. the champagne going around the place. Actually, I remember when I was um, in the Debs, there was a couple of people who went in tractors. Now, I, I, they had to leave about two hours before the rest of us, but it was great. <laughs> well, no, we, I, I my um, friend Ger, he had his own car, so I was lucky. Um, oh. he, I was chauffeured in 86. It was, you that know, was very, very posh. Good. You're very posh, yeah. very posh. Do you know, um, he chauffeured me to my dad, so it was good. Um, and when your own daughter went then, did it bring it all back for you then? It did. It was lovely. It was so exciting with her going and getting her dress. Yeah. Um, do you know, like, and she wasn't as stressed about a dress as I was in my time. Like, she knew what she wanted and she got the dress. And a very good friend altered it to fit her to perfection because she just in the shop. No, this is what I want, and I'm kind of going, mm, you know. Yeah. But yeah, but it was beautiful on her. It was a lovely pale blue, and she was absolutely stunning. Yeah. But um, yeah, the difference like I um chauffeured her and her um escort on the night. Um, you know, we went to the school, but like it wasn't the 
the same excitement yeah. as my own. Isn't that terrible? Really? Like she had a great night, yeah. but it was different. Like we were more, I don't know, innocent. I think you know, and was yeah. more kind of uh, thing. They were just fine now. See ya. Like you know, I just love how the boys there. are a lot more fashion conscious. Oh, the now. boys are brilliant. Yeah. Oh my god, the boys are brilliant. Like, um, poor Jerm, when I think back, he'd go find a pink sticky bow to match oh. my dress. Like, ah, Tammy, poor old Jer. That poor creator, you know, thank God he was a good friend. Thank God. <laughs> and did he get it in the end? The, the oh, yes, yes, Uncle ben, yes, Jer. yes, yes. I know, he was very good now, in fairness to him. Oh, very Tammy, good. it's great to talk to you this morning. And I hope it brought up some good memories. Thanks for the lovely, bringing back all the lovely memories. I had some nice memories thinking back yesterday of all the people that came to the house and, you know, their good wishes. And, you know, and going back, look, thinking back of the photos that were taken and, Feeling like a princess, that was the thing. You felt like a princess. And now, Tammy, out. you're a queen. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ali. Thank Good you morning. So much. All the best. Happy Bye, New Tammy. Year to you. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Welcome back to Tip Today. It's time to talk farming now. And Katrina Morris, the editor of the Farmer's Journal, joins me now. Katrina, good morning. Happy New Year to you. Are you there, Katrina? Oh, she's on the line. I don't know why she... Apologies, Alison. Can you hear me now? I can. How are you, Katrina? Happy New Year to you. Sorry for that glitch. That's okay. No hassle at all. We're going to start this morning with some breaking news and great news for beef farmers after the Minister of Agriculture announces the resumption of beef exports to China. That's right. Yeah, there's no Irish beef gone to China for about two and a half years at this stage. Um, The Chinese authorities closed the market to Irish beef following a case of BSE here in Ireland. And that was a single case of BSE, what's known as atypical BSE. It actually was uh, reported in Tipperary. Um, and it didn't enter the food chain, had no risk to human health, but nonetheless, the Chinese authorities are extremely strict on the countries that it will take beef from. And one of their... Um, criteria that they're exceptionally strict on is BSE. So as soon as Ireland had this case, it triggered a shutdown of the market to China. Um, Ireland has been trying to reopen that market, I suppose, and negotiating with the powers that be in China for the last two and a half years. And just this morning, good news from the minister that that will now happen. That's great. And I suppose it rises our reputation even further now again, doesn't it? It does. I mean, China's a huge market, I suppose, for both beef and dairy pre this suspension. Um, Borbia would put it as potential to take 30,000 tonnes of Irish beef every year. That would be a multiple of what we were sending in before the market closed, which was, you know, kind of between five and 6,000 tonnes. But the fact that China will accept your beef, it, you know, they set some of the highest standards in the world for the countries that they will take beef from. So the fact that we're back in there is very, very good news for the industry, the country, and individual farmers supplying beef to factories. Absolutely. Would it be good news for prices for beef then as well for farmers? Look, the more markets you have, the more buyers you have, you know, that would always augur well for beef. So we would hope so, yeah. Good. Um, Another story that's in the uh, Farmers Journal this week and Big Brother are certainly going to be watching now with the news that EU satellites will be inspecting farms in Ireland every five days this year. That's right. So this is a change. Um, Up until now, there have been an element of satellite inspections for Irish farms, but this is a a very significant ramping up of that. There are four satellites out there in the ether um, orbiting the Earth, and they are now going to be used to inspect every single Irish farm 
every five days this year. So up until now, there would have been about 5% of Irish farmers selected randomly for inspection every year, either on-the-spot inspections or satellite inspections. Under this new ramped-up system, everybody's farm will be monitored practically all the time. Every five days is practically all the time. Wow, that's incredible. Also, um, fears for this year then, farmers bracing themselves for a fall in income. Why is that? Yeah, I suppose this is a a survey we did of um, 1,900 farmers. They're all um, broken down into sector. And it's just, we asked them, I suppose, what were they feeling for 2023, both in terms of their own individual farms, the sector that they're in, and agriculture in general. And what we found was that, you know, there's a quarter of them very concerned about farm profitability. the most concerned would be sheep farmers. Dairy farmers are very much expecting their income to fall. That's not necessarily a surprise because their incomes have been very, very high in the last year. So dairy farmers, while they are concerned about the fall, I suppose overall they're not that pessimistic in comparison to, for example, sheep farmers who expect their income to fall and are far more pessimistic about it because they have a lower income to start with. Mm. Uh, We've lots and lots from that survey, actually, um, all across page six and seven of this week's paper, loads of um, different questions asked of farmers. Yeah, and very detailed, a great account on that as well. Now, I know Sinn Féin would be hoping to do well at the next election and um, polls would suggest that they will do well, but according to your own poll, they won't do so well with farmers. Why is that? Yeah, that's right. So this is, again, part of our survey and we have consistently asked the same questions so we can compare, I suppose, survey on survey at this stage. Fine Gael is leading the pack and that would be a 37% support um, and there's very, very steady, uh, a slight increase in this one. Um, Fianna Fáil then next on 23% and that's unchanged. But uh, Sinn Féin, while they rose in the survey last June to 16%, they've dropped again to 12%, 13% in the last one. So farmers just not as maybe um, pro Sinn Féin as what the general population seems to be because you know, those national surveys do show that Sinn Féin is, is riding the crest of a wave at the moment. Is there a reason why you think farmers wouldn't be so keen to vote Sinn Féin? Um, well, it depends on the farmer, actually, because we found that their support, obviously, in, in Ulster would be higher and among sheep farmers. And Mary Lou MacDonald, when she addressed the IACMSA conference there in Limerick a couple of weeks ago, kind of acknowledged that they are better regarded among the smaller, lower-income um farmers mm. than they would be, for example, in the Tipperary, you know, kind of dairy farmer population. Um, I think farmers know that the main parties understand agriculture um, and I suppose they might be a little bit wary of what Sinn Féin would do, particularly on what Sinn Féin might class as wealth taxes, such as land transfers, farm transfers. That's very important to farmers passing on their farm. So when Sinn Féin talks about, you know, taxing the wealthy, will farmers with their asset-rich position be included in that net? I think that might be some of the caution from farmers. And Katrina, the big news story in farming and uh, across news nationally this week is, of course, more dog attacks and that recent sheep kill in Lura. There's a great piece in today's uh, Farmers Journal, page 27, about what to do uh, in the event of a sheep attack. But given the time of year, we're just heading into lambing season. It's certainly a concern. Oh, it's a huge concern. And we've seen some really shocking attacks in the last couple of weeks. We saw one um, in Moneygall on the Tipperary Offaly border. And then 
in the last 10 days, that terrible attack up in Nina, where a farmer has lost over 70 sheep. Um, and just some terrible, terrible damage done to sheep. And in some cases, they weren't killed. They had to be put down because they mm. were so badly injured. Um, so we have step-by-step advice. Um, it's based on the IFA protocol for what a farmer can do in terms of, you know, what can he do as regards he or she? What can they do if they see a dog attacking? Are they legally entitled to shoot that dog? The answer to that is yes, as long as they abide by the law and as specific law, and we have it in the paper today about the Control of Dogs Act, as long as you abide by those specific steps, you would be okay to um, to shoot the dog. Obviously, the preference is not to have these dogs running around attacking sheep at all. Mm. So, you know, the the number one appeal would be for all dog owners to make sure they know where their dog is and that it is under control at all times. And the big problem, of course, is like we spoke to our vet Marais, a lot of the time this is kind of a hit and run attack that, you know, you, you might suspect who's involved, but you can't prove it. This is it. And that's why I suppose it is important for the farmer, if he does see the dog, to try and catch the dog, because then it can be you know, held accountable um, and the, the owner can be traced if that's what needs to be done. Um, but yes, as you say, often the farmer just comes to the devastation that's left behind and the dog has probably gone back home. And there's very little farmers can do really to protect themselves from it, isn't there? No, I mean, lots of farmers at lambing time will have the sheep closer to the house. You know, generally there'll be more people around at home. Um, they'll have it as well fenced. Some, some farmers bring their sheep into lamb, others lamb outdoors. So they do as much as possible, but unless these dogs are controlled, unfortunately, the farmers and the flock are are the victims. Is it possible, Katrina, to um, discern what could be either, you know, if you come across an attack, how do you know if it's a dog or a fox? Is there a way of kind of recognising? I suppose foxes by their nature are kind of, they're a shy creature. If they'll take a lamb, they'll take a weaker animal. Um, it's very unlikely that any fox is going to have the physical strength to do what a dog will do. Yeah, so slaughter, um, we'll say, really, exactly. for a better word, yeah. And you will say, see in dog attacks as well, you know, they're not eating, they're not killing the sheep for food. They are doing it for sport. They get into a kind of a frenzy. They go into that mentality of, of a wild dog almost and, and they just lose the run of themselves. Mm. And that's why people will, you know, dog owners will often say, oh, my dog would never do that. In actual fact, if the dog switches into this mentality, it's a different type of dog to the one that it is at home. Yeah. And so it would be very obvious, I think, the difference between a fox, which might be taking a lamb or two, but dogs, when it's a dog attack, it's very, very obvious. It's a brutal assault. Okay, Katrina, thanks for talking to us this morning. Farmers Journal, of course, available uh, in all news agents and uh, main supermarkets at the moment. Thanks for talking to us Thank again you. this week. All the best. Thanks, Katrina. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.
Welcome back to Tip Today. Phone line and text remain open this morning. 1800-938-007 or text or WhatsApp 083-311-3311. Now, we spent the morning talking about our failing health system and uh, hearing from people who are doing everything they can to stay away from hospitals. So it feeds nicely into what we're discussing with Muriel this morning in our health slot. And that is preventative health and beauty. Muriel, good morning. Happy New Year to you. Same to you, Ali. How was your Christmas? Lovely. Good. Yeah, d- definitely. And like I said, um, we were chatting about this earlier on, Ali, and you know people like kind of beat themselves up when it comes to the first week in January and you're thinking about everything you've done wrong and all yeah. the food and all the drink and all the bits and pieces. But like, you have to put a positive spin on things. And I just think for Christmas, especially this year with COVID, we've done a lot of things right. Like we were back out socialising. Mm. So I had a few great nights, uh, went to Eldon's for the seesaw thing and there was a few things that, events or whatever, that were back again. And it was just lovely to see people back out again. Yeah, Families were home from everywhere so you could see faces that you didn't see before and that so we got to do things like that like so that that was a major thing and then like less stress now whoever was cooking Christmas dinner you probably didn't have this less stress but we even you know you sleep better so there's so many different sides to Christmas that can actually be really good you know maybe you'll be able to walk in the middle of the day stay in bed longer in the morning time yeah. so don't beat yourself up Just over a like relaxing time is nice it, and it's supposed to be and like, be un- unapologetic about it absolutely yeah. absolutely like I know we're back into the new year but like you should have a good a few nice memories of Christmas as well as in like yeah you were to put your feet up in the middle of the day and watch a movie with the kids yeah. or just literally I remember daddy and it's gone back eight years now but like Christmas was the only time that he was able to stop work because everything stopped mm. and he stood with the two controls one in each hand and his feet up on the whatever was in front and it was like last of the summer wine and some others uh, do have them and you remember all the old classics yeah. or whatever and lighting the fire at 11 o'clock and light, I yeah, that. yeah yeah and getting out of bed like that yeah. bit later and the pyjamas are still on like around 12 or 1 o'clock or whatever yeah. so there's a lot of good in Christmas so whatever about the overeating and everything like we can pull that back into line now that's mm. what I'm talking about now the preventative side so there's but some aspects that we do at Christmas that maybe we should kind of pull in with us oh absolutely yeah. absolutely like the sleeping and the stress you know they say now you need all the news resolutions like of the gym membership and get back out walking and do this that and the other like and I'm like take the better aspects definitely of like the eight hour sleep and if you can hold the stress off for another while and mm. don't think about what you can cut out because like the sweets are going to go anyway you you get sick of things like that and if they're not gone already like just throw them in the bin or something like that you know or make a chocolate biscuit cake and put it in the freezer or whatever but mm. if you add in things instead of taking things away it definitely makes it a lot easier like say if you're having your breakfast in the morning what are you supposed to have at breakfast time so just think to yourself if I eat properly like my porridge and and seeds and nuts and things like that I'm sated then so you're not actually craving sweet stuff by 11 o'clock you know if you eat well at lunchtime you're not craving stuff by 4 o'clock so it's what can I add in and you keep thinking in your head because even one of the girls said to me this morning people are trained for the Olympics they find it really hard to get out of bed in the morning to train like if they have to be in a pool for five o'clock or whatever it doesn't come easy to do all that training. Does it not? I always thought I was very envious of people like that I think they just jump out of the bed every morning. No I think it's it's a habit again I'm always talking about habits like the intrinsic motivation has to come from somewhere so why do we get up every morning and come into work? Why do people ring in sick? The younger generation are definitely going to find it a lot harder because we hand, hand them a lot of things and do a lot of things for them but even for me this week to try and just, you have to dig down deep, don't you? And say, right, okay, I need to own this. I need to get in. I need to get to work. I need to be on it when I'm at work. I need to do so many different things or whatever. But like the Olympic Olympic uh, guys that are training or whatever it is, it doesn't come easy to anyone. Mm. So you've got to, in your head, think to yourself, what can I do to make myself feel better? What can I do to make myself look better? If they're the things that are bother- bothering you, and we're talking about the health service, yeah, and so many people are unwell, 
Like you've got to think in your head, just small wins, small changes, little things. And if it makes me feel better and keeps me out of that health service and keeps me out of the GPs or whatever, you're definitely on a winner, aren't you? So what are some of the things you can do to, to help improve your health? And I hate saying it because we shouldn't have to say, what can we do to improve our health so we don't have to go into any and into hospital? We shouldn't have to say that. But no, we shouldn't, but we do. Yeah. And you know, I won't even go through the younger generation because that's, for me, a scary place, literally, as in the, the, the habits that they're forming at the minute. But say from 30 plus, you've got to have a health screen every year. So you've definitely got to get your bloods done at least once a year because if you don't, you've no idea where you're at. So when you hit 30, 35, even small things like, so it's the new year and people are going in and they're buying bottles of supplements like taking their vitamin Cs and all the different bits and pieces. Now, vitamin C is brilliant and brilliant for the immune system or whatever, but you can over supplement. And if you don't need mm. to supplement, why are you actually taking it? So, yeah. you know, if you can do something as simple as getting the health screen in the very initial, that's the Do you need to be place. specific about what they, what they need to look for in the bloods or is it just a general you know, thing? In, in the beginning, a very general general one is good and if the general one comes in okay and you still feel kind of miserable because say um, I've had a lot of people through the clinic this week already and there's a lot of different things say like hormonal stuff intolerance issues things like that right so intolerance issues can go hand in hand with hormonal things so like say if you're, you've had gluten um, if you're, you're intolerant to gluten well then that can throw out everything as in your stress hormones going to become completely exhausted your adrenalines are going to become com- completely exhausted cortisol is going to flow through your body so if you still feel miserable after getting a health screen everything shows up okay well then there are other issues that you actually need to work on yeah. so what is it and what can I actually do to change it does that make sense Yeah. so like with some of the girls I've had this week and it's intolerance issues we've kind of pinpointed nearly already what the intolerance issues are we'll work on that for a month and if they still feel really miserable and still feel exhausted well then we can say right okay do we actually need to do a blood test now and check different mm. levels of like their, their cortisol levels and maybe a full hormone profile or whatever so yeah. I suppose it's having the conversation first of all and thinking to yourself maybe write down how do you feel yeah you know how do you feel what are all the things that are wrong with me that I just don't feel well like is it anxiety mm. is it stress am I not sleeping right you know um, do I feel sick after eating in the morning am I tired at four o'clock in the evening am I just not able to put the runners on to go out for a walk or a run is that mental or is it physical mm. so if you actually just start thinking to yourself what are all the different things that I actually feel are wrong now in early January like if you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see you know all these little things we yeah. get I get all of these when people sit in front of me but they don't think about it until somebody starts pulling it out of them and then what can I do to change it? So if you start making the small changes, then well, maybe people that have underlying issues, they're going to end up in the health service. They, they're, you know, if you like have respiratory and if you have things like that and you end up with COVID, well, then you've got to go and get help. But if you haven't and you can keep your immune system as strong as you possibly can, well, then you shouldn't have to go to the GP or you shouldn't have to go to be yeah. in hospital. You know? My mother would have always sworn by a tonic at this time of year. What, yeah. what do you think of the tonic? Do you know the old-fashioned things and everything that our mothers done years ago? They were they were like well on the right track. The tonics they would have given us were all very natural. Yeah. So they would have had B vitamins, vitamin C, zinc, magnesium, the different things that the body needed. But there was nothing overdone in it, if that makes yeah. sense. Cod liver oil, like we all had cod liver oil. Probably all had the warm dose this time of the year yeah, after Christmas. Yeah, actually. Yes, yeah. Do you remember all the sugar overload yeah. and everything? So they'd done the normal things, right? But you know, when it came to January in any of our houses years ago, there wasn't sweets. But there wasn't the rubbish. Yeah. I suppose we had so little over Christmas it was eaten. Like selection box didn't last a day, did it? I don't even think we had selection boxes. Oh, we got we got the small ones, but I don't think it lasted until evening and you were nearly stealing something out of somebody else's pretension yeah. you hadn't eaten it or something, you know. But there definitely wasn't the same level of rubbish. But we're looking at it now and we're looking at the fizzy drinks and they're nearly a norm, mm. which is really crazy. Like the Lucas Aid Sports and all of these are nearly a norm. And like I've been doing research on this in the background and I just feel that's so scary as in say the type 2 diabetes and all that is one side but the injuries 
um, and the way the body is breaking down, that's the other side for me that's really scary because it's depleting the muscles and the bones of what they actually need. Okay. Like the minerals and all the different bits and pieces. So, um, yeah, there's a few sides to it. So the preventative side for me is massive. So if you are a parent, uh, if you have parents or even you yourself, it's just the simple things. Like I've, I've, I've seen, listened to so many podcasts even over Christmas on this and they all go back. And these are guys that have like, one guy has 73 million followers, I think. Like massive, massive. He's American. But he talks about the same things I talk about. So it's like, go back to where we were 50 yeah. or 60 years ago. Is it just more water? Is that what it is? It doesn't even have to be water, like even your cups of tea. Okay. Like, and we have all the options now is in the green tea and all the different bits and pieces, but it's fluid into you. Yeah. It's three basic meals a day. You know, if you want to have a snack, you can have a snack. But like you're having like, like I even said, even the bis- or the sweets and stuff. If you fancy sweets, you have a sweet. You just don't have 10. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If it's a trigger for you and you can't have a sweet without having 10, well, then get rid of the sweets and have something else instead. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's you're fighting with this little vice in your head all the time of what's wrong and what's right. Forget about what's wrong and what's right. And just think to yourself, what makes me feel better? Yeah. How do I feel better? So I'm going to bed at night. If I'm after eating a whole lot of junk before I get into bed, well, I'm not going to sleep well. I'm yeah. going to wake up tired. But like if I have one or two things or I just leave the junk because I can't not uh, overdose on it, have something else instead. Like you've heard me here, I like I talk about wheat picks and I, and I know that might, might sound boring, but if you eat the healthier stuff, you don't want the other stuff or as yeah. much of the other stuff. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. And I always find if you have, I know it sounds awful now, but if you have a bit of fruit, it kind of kills that sugar craving it does it does and things like berries and like even I talk about bananas and it's a good bit of sugar and bananas and stuff but like a banana's a hundred times better like than ten plain biscuits do you know what I mean yeah and it has all the vitamins and everything that you need in it and the potassiums and like we're talking about that all the time lately with water we're not hydrated properly because we're depleted in our potassiums and our sodiums and all the bits and pieces you know so Mm. I think if anybody takes anything from this today it's literally stop beating yourself up but think about how you can make yourself feel better and the same even with the kids. It's a popular time of year for detoxing. Is detoxing something you'd be in favour of? Your body detoxes anyway, okay. itself. The liver is your detox. That's literally, that's your, your main detoxification pathway, right? You are, a lot of livers are in trouble at this time of the year already because of the overload at Christmas time, right? Say is in your, your wrong foods. Like food, fatty, fatty um, liver is just as, what would you say, prevalent today as what your alcoholic liver is. So the two are kind of going hand in hand. Your liver detoxifies itself. So if you just go back to eating normally as you normally would, your liver is nearly good to go. Okay. We're seeing people's livers are wrong lately because of the overload constantly of all the rubbish they're actually putting into it, right? That the liver then you see the cholesterols and everything going wrong because the cholesterols, etc., are manufactured in the liver. So that's why we need the liver working really well. Mm. But if the gut isn't good, the liver isn't good. Yeah. So no, I don't agree with detoxifying. I don't think you need to. I think okay. if you're actually eating fairly well, you'll do you, your liver will do it itself. Um milk thistle is brilliant. So if anybody uh, wants anything at all for the liver, I thought to that was for hand. hangovers. Yeah, it, they talk about hangovers, but sure, doesn't that make sense? It's in your liver, you of know, course, is, yeah. is the hangover or whatever it is. So it, milk thistle even acts as a barrier for poison. So even if you're talking about things like neurofins and paracetamols, and if you've taken a lot of things like that over Christmas time, definitely get milk thistle into you because it stops a lot of those those poisons um, actually making a difference. Oh, would that be a one a day? Thing? Well, what I like are the drops. Okay. So like I like powders and anything that's fluid or whatever that you can use all of it straight away. So I would take 20 drops in like a third of a glass of warm water. Is it water. nasty or is it okay? Not really, you just down it. But do you like echinacea You've now? actually made a face there now. You can't do I, that I, as a no, mother. No, but I just You're think like... of echinacea and I just hate taking echinacea. There's loads of things I hate taking, oh. but I just literally, it's I like know. hold your nose and just, yeah, yeah. just do it. And even with the kids, I'm like, stop being a pussy. 
Like yeah, you down it, you drink it, or you're not getting whatever. Area. Well, do you know, like we've, we've become so soft. I know, haven't we? And like we eat everything under the sun that's rubbish. Like I see my lads at home, they'll taste anything that's rubbish. Like if anything comes into the house and it's known to be bad for them with like fifty different whatever ingredients in it, there's not a problem. Like if somebody brings that blue bottle of whatever rubbish it is, drinks, I don't know. I have no problem with smaller two yeah. taking it straight away. You'd like. love my house now. I had to make, they got Gatorade for Christmas and I met, it's like it's radioactive. Oh, I'd pour it's it down so the sink. green. I'd pour it down the sink. Um, yeah, I couldn't, Muriel. Oh, I've made hearts. my lads pour things like that down the sink. Yeah, I know they hide, <laughs> they hide some of it, but some of it I leave them away with, but like the things that I know are going to turn their insides. Like, yeah. Have his Christmas, Muriel. Yeah, well, no, like, listen, I'm not that bad. And Jesus, mine get away with murder or whatever. But when it comes to taking things, like, if I feel they need to take something or whatever, yeah. I do say to him, like, you know, stop being, like, pussies or whatever. <laughs> and, like, I even said to him yesterday, like, we're back to school now today. It is time for the rubbish to go. Yeah. So my 13-year-old was coming into school this morning with me and he said, ma'am, they all eat sausage rolls and they sell out. Is that really bad in school? And I said, yes, Rocco, that's really bad in school. But he said, could I not just have one? And I said, well, you do know there's like 50 grams of saturated fat, etc. in it. But he said, if you have that and you have sugar, isn't that really bad? And I said, yeah. So if I just have the sausage roll and I don't have the sugar, am I okay? So, so he was, But he was trying to work it out in his head. Yeah. Which way would it actually work that it would be better and, and not? But like, that is really bad. And kids don't need sausage rolls at lunchtime. Like, have a decent breakfast, bring their lunch with them. And maybe on a Friday, leave them have what they want. And even over the weekend. But if you can leave them, make them teach the habits of having the lunch during the day and don't go near the rubbish or whatever. Yeah. You're definitely 100 times better off. It raises another concern as well with kids back to school because they've been away from each other now for the last two or three weeks and I'd say most parents are expecting some old bug in the house now mm. next week as a result. Is there anything you can do to kind of build immunity in the mm. kids before they go back you know, to school? No, I think a lot of people have been sick over Christmas. Okay. So I'd say a lot of kids are even going back to school that has been in the house. I don't know, a house that hasn't had some form of coughs or yeah. colds or something. You know, when the system goes down and you actually relax, everybody seems to get sick. But vitamin C is definitely brilliant. Okay, so definitely it's one supplement that I just think take it get it into the kids straight away it'll definitely help the immune system um, back to the soups and casseroles and stir fries and all the really good food because the minute you get the gut right kids are better straight away and get them out in the fresh air like so many kids were inside over Christmas and on the playstations and all the bits and pieces mm. weather wasn't great like I think it rained every day did it but like yeah. even if they get wet and self does it really matter you know, if they had to go and play a match, they go out and play a match and talk off. So definitely, I think, hunt them outside for a half an hour. Get the immune system where it needs to be. I don't worry about muck and dirt and stuff like that. Yeah. Like That's the bacteria side. But if you can get them back eating well 80% of the time, you have a good chance of keeping them well. Yeah. You know? When it comes to skin then, because, you know, it's it's a tough time of year for skin then as well, because you're, you're coming from extremes of temperature. You're going out into the cold. You're coming in into the warmth. And that has a huge effect on skin. Do you know the skin is the largest organ in the, bar- in the body? Go on, Muriel. Yeah. Muriel has these little... Um, and it's literally... It's our, it's our barrier. So, yeah. like, that's literally... So we need, like, our skin to be well and healthy or whatever, you know? And this is another one. You'll probably, like... Ali's looking at me now, lads. Um, but um, uh, cer- cer- ceramides. You know ceramides? So ceramides hold the skin together. They hold the skin the skin cells firmly together, right? right? They reduce by about nearly 50% by the time you're 30. That's the uppermost layer of, 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 of skin that we actually have. And collagen depletes at 1% uh, by year on year from 30. So like if we don't look after our skin, we're kind of in trouble, aren't we? But can you, can you kind of halt ageing? Um, it's not halt ageing, but you can definitely, you can definitely Slow keep yourself, down. yes, and keep yourself as well 
as you can be for your age. Mm-hmm. I always say that, you know, even in the clinic and that, and people come in and they do a consultation and they're like 10 years younger, etc. Don't ever aim to look 10 years younger. Just aim to look fresher. Aim to look a better version of yourself. Literally that if you look in the mirror, you kind of like what you see mm. rather than pulling at different bits and pieces and think this is sagging and this looks grey and this looks dry and all the bits. If you can keep your skin fluid, if you can keep it hydrated and like this, you'll have heard like retinols, yeah. hyaluronic acid. Like there's a reason that we actually have these in skincare products because they work. You know, like say um, retinols, vitamin C brightens the skin. Vitamin E, moisturising, you know, it's great, it's great literally for inflammation, etc. Um, vitamin C, uh, free radical damage. So you've heard me talking about radicals, like and radicals in relation to cancer and all of that kind of thing. The skin needs all of those kind of things. So like yeah. good skincare products are really good. So what you can do, yeah, sorry. No, go on. It's just hard to know what you should be taking because you have to take your SPF as well. And then if yeah. you're retinal and then your collagen as well, is is there kind of a, a one one bottle for all of it? There's not really. And you know, retinol, retinol stimulates a quicker renewal of skin cells and it forms collagen. And then hyaluronic acid plumps the skin, skin and the fine lines, etc. So those two together, they work really good, right? They make the skin thicker. Um, our doctors behind the scenes would always say it needs to have retinol. It needs mm. to have vitamin C. If it has retinol and has vitamin C, you're good to go. That's a really good skincare product. So to look for things like that, don't buy 10. It's like when I'm talking about supplements. Don't buy 10 different things. Even go and have a consultation and get somebody to take a look and say, listen, what do I need? And then stick with that for the next while. Yeah. And then, of course, from the inside out, as in if you're actually eating and drinking the water and stuff like that, that makes a difference too, you know. Yeah. And there's a few different, like, the three-dimensional approach I say to everything, like, as in, say, the inside, and then you're looking after the skin and all the different bits and pieces. So, like, if you're even doing that on the aesthetic side, you, people don't know what to do. So you relax the muscle, first of all. So that's something like an anti-wrinkle. And then you volumize, So you, like, fill it, say, like, with a filler or whatever it is. And then you redrape. Have you ever heard the word of redrape? No. Right. So redrape is nearly the final thing, as in, if you need something done, I'm a big age this year, guys. Okay. So a roundy number. A roundy number this year, yeah. Yeah, it's not 30. But anyway, I'm a roundy number this year, yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at, I'm completely invested in all of this to learn as much as I possibly can about it all, right? So redrape is literally, you pull the skin back so you tighten it, okay? And then you get rid of the excess skin. Is that so surgical? So that's that be surgical, the redrape side, yeah. Oh. So that's like, like a facelift or something like that, okay? So the other two, they're not. They're non-invasive and they're not surgical. And there's so much you can do is in, you relax the muscle and then you feel a little mm. and you look a little bit better. That's it, guys. We're talking about the aesthetic world, if you're, if you're wondering. But that's just, if you look in the mirror and you just want to look a little bit better, don't ever overdo it. Just, you know, get the creams. Get a little treatment or a little work done and look after yourself from the inside out. Yeah. And there you have the three steps that, yeah. I won't look my roundy number this year, Ali. You don't look it now, Muriel. <laughs> don't worry about it. Do you know it. what the roundy number is? <laughs> she said, you don't look it. Yeah, thanks. Uh, <laughs> listeners wondering, is there anything for men's wrinkles? I presume they can have the same it's cream exactly as exactly the same. And you know what's funny? When we opened the doors, we actually thought that um, it would be predominantly female. Uh, and say maybe 80-20 and that we would really explore the side for men as well. Now we've had numerous men in so we've had men in for everything from the erectile dysfunction to all of that side of things the same as with the the women and the bladder control but we've had just as many men in for anti-wrinkle and and, and facial and all of that kind of thing. That's great to see. Even the eyebrows, like simple simple things. Again, Rock will kill me if he's listening but 
Rocco, like he had that, you know. A unibrow? The unibrow. Right. Um, and the girls got him up in the chair yesterday and sorted it. And he stood up and he was looking in the mirror for like a half an hour afterwards. Any of the men Mad listening out him, you're, ma- you're actually making a complete, whatever, my husband said, complete pussy out of him. But, you know, it made a difference. And he actually noticed himself and he was delighted. So we're actually getting a lot of men in that are actually looking at themselves now. And they don't like what they see and they want to make changes of whatever. And this is going back to even when men are I- I teenagers mm. and somebody has said something along the way. Or they've looked and they haven't liked it all the way along the way and now they're like 40 and 50 yeah. and they're looking in the mirror and they're thinking well maybe I can actually do something about that now so everything we can do for women we can do for men okay. it's exactly the same so men don't be afraid Okay uh, how much water should we be drinking a day a listener wants to know um, Two litres would be the, the amount that we would talk about depends on body size uh, it depends on how much going you're doing. depends if you're sweating. So all of these things come into it. I'm actually finding, we've done a big health screen before Christmas, and I think of the 170 people that came through, probably 130 were dehydrated. Okay. Oh. Of the 130, uh, about half of them were seriously dehydrated. Um, a lot of them said, but I do drink and I am drinking. Some said, I don't drink anything, but a lot of them said, I do drink and I am. It's, I keep saying the electrolyte side. Water's over-purified. We don't have a mineral in the world in it, right? Our food stuff, the environmental toxins on it. So we're not actually retaining that water. If you're looking at a really good way to hydrate and you're not intolerant to dairy, milk is actually brilliant. It has every electrolyte we need. So even for kids, don't be afraid to leave and drink milk if they're not intolerant to it, yeah. like the chocolate milk or whatever. Two litres a day, okay, going back to the question, that can be tea. So it can be any of your green teas, any of your normal teas. A couple of cof- cups of coffee are, are also okay. But I would all, always say get at least a litre, if not a litre and a half into you. And to do it in the easiest way possible is a glass of water in the morning before breakfast. A glass again by lunchtime. Say like a pint of water mm. and a pint in the evening. You've three pints got into you straight away before you do any of the drip feeding or whatever. Don't drink with your meals. Drink before them or drink after them. So I've said that so many times. So just listen to that piece as in don't drink with them. There's hydrochloric acid in our stomach. It's really strong like a battery acid. And our body needs that to break down our food. Our stomach needs it to break down our so food. So not to water it down. Don't dilute it. Ah. Yeah. So give your tummy um, what it actually needs. If you're taking any supplement at all that you're wondering what to take now, take vitamin C, vitamin D because we don't get the sun and we need that and probiotic. So okay. probiotic is the good bacteria back in your gut. So that'll push back against the bad and it'll make you start feeling better straight away. OK, last question from a listener. Could Muriel tell us the top five things we can do to lose the few pounds gained over Christmas? Just a few small tips. Thanks a million. OK, so you need to concentrate big time. Your diet should resemble uh, essential fat and protein first. OK, so if I was to draw, draw a circle like a plate and I was to show everybody what we've been eating over Christmas um, and I was to say to you, carbohydrates, protein and fat. Carbohydrates are what give us energy. We can store carbohydrates as fat. So if we eat too many of them, that's where the body fat comes from. We've eaten miles too many carbohydrates over Christmas. That's potatoes, that's bread, that's biscuits, that's pastries, that's mince pies, that's sweets, that's chocolate. That's everything we like over Christmas is the carbohydrate side, right? Our diet over Christmas is probably 80% carbohydrate. We can still have them, but when I'm showing you the plate now, instead of having 80%, we have 50%. You cut it across the middle. Instead of having all the pastries and the breads and everything, you predominantly concentrate on colour. So anything that's bland or that's beige should be put to one side. And I'm talking about potatoes and rice and breads and all of those things as well. Do you have brown in that? Oh yeah, absolutely. High fibre. So high fibre is in whole grain breads, porridge, Weetabix. Yeah. They're your to-go-to. If you're hungry in the evening, porridge and Weetabix, they're your to-go-to. That'll give you enough energy. Don't cut down on food. Change the foods you're eating. Don't be hungry. That's just nonsense because that's just going to make you overeat on every single side. So if you eat in abundance, the colour, like I'm talking about, and your high fibre, 
that'll definitely work straight off. Essential fat and protein, we need 25% of each, okay? People are getting about 20% protein into their diet, but probably about 5% essential fat. Essential fat and protein work hand in hand. You don't become leaner. You will not become lighter unless you get the essential fat in, and people are afraid of that. Essential fat is not seeds, eggs, the yellow of an egg, um, fish, the oilier the fish, the better, okay? So things like that. Cook with extra virgin olive oil. So if you can only use that for the next while, even coconut oil is really good, but those two, to me, would be to go to an avocados. That's okay. your essential fat. And then your protein, we all know, is like white meat, red meat twice a week. So if you're definitely trying to cut down, go to white meat, go to fish, go to chicken. Okay. Uh, go to, sorry, eggs. Um, so if you can get that, write that down as in 50% carbs, 25% protein, 25% fat and, and, and base your meals around that, you have a really good chance of losing a few pounds. Okay. Buriel, are you back open? Oh, we're back since Tuesday, yeah. yeah. Great. Back in Sunday, actually. Anyone who's looking to make contact with you, how yes, can they do so that? so it is 052 Okay, and Emma will have those uh, contact details as well if anybody's looking for them. Thanks for joining us, Muriel. Good morning. Happy New Year. You too. Thanks, Ali. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. Now, Down Your Way is back for the new year and Eamon's first trip of 2023 was just down the road from him in Holy Cross. Here's just a little taste of what you can expect this weekend. We're here in Oglamas, here in Borna Krusha. Enjoy yourselves. Here we go. Here's what she says to me. Absolutely fantastic. What an atmosphere here. You know, Gormers here in Bournemouth tonight. Yeah, fantastic night here. Massive, massive crowd. Happy New Year to all our listeners across the county and, in fact, across the world that listen to us on, uh, uh, online and all the rest. Listen, we're here in, uh, you know, Gormans. Uh, what, a, what a place to be. It's only down the road from where I live myself. We're here in Holy Cross and uh, very much a part of uh, County Tipperary, Bournemouth. And we all kind of grew up around here and uh, it's, it's fantastic to be around. Mark O'Gorman and Captain O'Gorman are with me. Captain uh, uh, mother of Mark and uh, what a special occasion here today. Tell me about uh, the new year and a very happy new year to you. Many happy returns, um, Eamon. You're very welcome, not with that microphone in my face, but you're very welcome to Born Crusher here tonight. Um, yeah, very special occasion tonight. Um, it's a brainchild of Mark's um, to run something in aid of um, Pieta House. Um, we're very proud of him and very proud of the effort he put in and we thank everyone for coming tonight and um, for all their support to Mark and their sponsorship and yes fantastic there's a fantastic atmosphere Catherine and all of that you know like from the new year and uh, tell me how did you get over Christmas how did it go Christmas went very well and we're very very busy with the food it was great to be back after the two year stop start with the Covid so um, everybody enjoyed being out um, for meals and drinks and um, yeah a few little colds and splutters here and there but everybody was out enjoyed with a lovely night New Year's Eve or Christmas Eve everybody comes in after midnight mass and come in for an hour or two of family fun and home then to Asante. But yeah, great nights. Absolutely fantastic. Mark is with us as well, your son. Mark, how are you? Good evening, you? Are you good Christmas? Good, yeah, quiet, but it was nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Santa came to you? Oh, he did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very important. Very important. Yeah, yeah as your man said, this is a special brainchild of you here tonight and all of that. Tell us, uh, how did all this come about? 
Well, I suppose we were kind of talking about doing a music session in a pub for years. We, there wasn't one done for years and kind of said Christmas time would be a nice time to do one. And then I was, I wanted to do it for a charity and I said, Peter House, for me, was just very relevant mm-hmm. at these times. And, you know, it's very relevant in every parish. So I said... What, what, you know, mm-hmm. what a good cause to do it for, so. Yeah, absolutely. And indeed, uh, the work that Peter House do across the country is just massive. Yeah, it's very important because, you know, people find it hard to open up and mm-hmm. s- mm-hmm. say what they're feeling, but no, they do great work, so the money will be greatly used, so. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, look at, looking at the money and looking at the people out there, uh, it's just only massive. It can only get in the door. I know, but sure, no, that's what we were hoping for. Yeah, let them yeah. all, let them all in. Yeah, let them all in. Yeah, and why not? Uh, yeah, look at uh, Christmas is a special time for everybody and family and New Year and all of that. Uh, talk to me about uh, uh, your New Year because uh, you're a school in Torres CBS. I am. Yeah. Well, busy January coming up now. We have a school musical. We're doing Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. So mm. I have a part in that. So we'll be getting, you know, busy sitting and singing and now in January so mm-hmm. Are you going to sing the course, uh, a few songs here tonight as well? I'll do a few yeah when yeah, I get yeah, a chance yeah. yeah What about the music that's in your life because I, I met you once or twice up at Jim of the Mills and some of those uh, rural beautiful areas of County Tipperary <laughs> Well yeah music is my you know, it's my, my thing love to do it um, you know, plenty of music in school as I said the musical and different track groups and things often go up to a session in Jim and the Mills or mm-hmm. you know, wherever wherever the music is on I, I follow it so yeah I love it yeah, yeah. and you're kind of the brainchild of uh, bringing the music here tonight as well yeah because yeah, I you know, I have people ask me where I get the music is it for the mother's side or the father's side and, mm-hmm. and I see ma'am here she's nodding her horse if it is neither side so I don't I don't suppose there were sessions here years ago so I said why not bring it back I thought you were going to sing a few songs here tonight. It's a long night, Jess, Eamon. <laughs> long road without a turn. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's great for the family and, of course, all of that, isn't it? What a young lad. What a young lad. What a special young lad. And we're very proud of him. As I said, there's a lot of families in all counties, as Mark said. But in our parish alone, we have a lot of people here tonight that's their, their nephew, their niece, their son, their brother. Um, this parish has been rocked a few times. It was rocked as late as September. Mm. And um, Mark had a friend last year and that whatever. So his world was rocked and all the boys in school. And um, so, look, we're all here together, shoulder to shoulder. And that's what Pieta House yeah. is about. And they sent a letter to Mark to say that they only get 20% um, funding from the government. So 80% comes from brainchilds like Mark and the support of everyone here tonight and um, like the sponsorship that Mark received like he only sent out a few sponsorship letters to guess because I was saying to him like to make sure and get the prizes like for his raffle without dipping mm-hmm. into the funds and he only sent out four or five to get that but like people just handed in checks for hundreds and two hundreds and bride vouchers and just amazing everyone has just been amazing absolutely and we're very proud of Mark absolutely Catherine can I bring you back to this rural shop here in County Tipperary because Quite a lot of rural shops have been closed and are finding it very difficult. But during COVID, you guys kept this place open day and night for the most part. Well, we kept the show on the road. As I said to someone um, when we were ringing in the new year last year, the year before, and they put up roadworks and they tried to close us and the COVID came in and we kept going. We kept shop open because a lot of shops in town weren't open and that. And we did the takeaway dinners 
and sure people were de- we were delighted for people to come into us and you know obviously to keep the 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 till ringing a small little bit as well but even for the chat and the banter and, banter and people were coming into us for you know their essentials their bread and milk but um yeah and you know it was hard to keep it going and um, that at times and that or whatever. But it has paid off now because people have appreciated us staying open then and um, they're continuing giving us the support now and we do appreciate Tell us about the restaurant because the restaurant is just... Uh, on- had to be seen here to be believed. Um, sure, the restaurant started off on a very small scale, really. Um, it was back, oh God, it, it's probably 50, 20 years ago now, so we started doing the first food for a funeral or a party, and that we might just do four or five in the year and that. But Eamon always loved the cooking and always loved that. So to be fair, the food really was Eamon's brainchild and that, and he started doing some of the cooking and that. And it's just gone from strength to strength. And then we went and started doing kind of daily lunches and then weekends and evenings. And so now it's a seven-day. It's actually more, you know, it's more viable now than what the pub business is. Um, because like the pub trade isn't there in the night time now and the country pubs like and that whatever unless you have a party or an event mm-hmm. so um, yeah no the restaurant was definitely a, a good one to go when you speak about of course the family here and all of that Eamon of course uh, a brainchild into a lot of things that goes on here as well <laughs> <laughs> your, that's your husband behind every good man there's an even better woman <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Look, um, Eamon took over the business, I suppose, from his mum and dad, Ned and Mayo Gorman. And um, I hadn't the privilege of knowing Ned, but um, I was honoured and blessed to know me and live with me. And um, she had the shop and um, the pub going for years. I'm not actually able to say how many years. But um, that, so Eamon took it over then, basically, I suppose, in 1990, when, um, or maybe slightly before, his, his dad, Ned, passed away in 1990. So he took it over with his mum then, and um, he's here to the good yet. I haven't kicked him out yet. Absolutely. <laughs> so you're, you're getting the whole history of this place uh, over the years there from your mummy and your dad? Yeah, sure. Loved, I love listening to all the stories and all. And from, from what I hear, I'd say I would have got on great with Granny May because she loved the music and, you know, she would have loved a night like tonight. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Good stuff. We look at every success to you guys. A happy new year. Hopefully it's a huge success. By the way, if people listen to the show uh, and, and all of that, where can they get in contact just when they, when, if they want to make a contribution later on? Um, well, our Facebook page, we're posting up posters and um, reminders about tonight. They can send us a, a message on that if, if they like or call into the shop days days after. We, you know, As I said, I'll be keeping the, the fund open for a couple of weeks after before I make the dono- donation to pay it out. So, so I welcome. Terrific, guys. Uh, happy New Year to you and a great night tonight as well. Every so- and that's just a little bit of what you can expect this Saturday morning from 10am on Down Your Way. Uh, just to bring you a couple of messages before we go to the final ad break. Um, in relation to the health service, it's been an ongoing topic throughout the morning. A listener says, went to care doc with my son who had an asthma attack and I asked for him to put on a nebulizer. He was told he didn't need one. We went to A&E anyway and my son ended up having 25 nebulizers and was on oxygen for four days before he could leave. Care doc are a joke. I also was seven hours waiting in hospital before Christmas, waiting for blood tests, an ECG and an X-ray. They even lost the ECG results and expected me to wait to get them done again. 
another listener taking issue with um, Muriel's advice on um, not drinking water before or after a meal. He says, uh, or I presume it's a he, sorry, a listener says, I lecture in sports nutrition. Uh, there's no concern that water thins down or weakens, dilutes the digestive juices or interferes with digestion. In fact, drinking water during or after a meal helps uh, how your body breaks down and processes food digestion. That's according to one listener. Uh, just an announcement to make as well. The If you're looking for something to do this uh, Little Women's Christmas, Little Christmas De Bure's Drag Show kicks off tomorrow at Clon William Rugby Club in Tiptown. Tickets are €20 Euro host and DJ for the night our own Andrew Luby so promises to be a great night cheese and wine reception at 8pm the show starts at 9pm lots of spot prizes too and there will be a raffle on the night with a disco and a bar until late tickets are available online at Eventbrite and also in some local shops in Tip Town uh, those are Fitzpatrick Printers Joe Whelan's Haypenny Place on Parry or any Seesaw volunteer also will have them and that's all in aid of Seesaw in Tipperary so definitely worth a visit if you're looking to to celebrate Little Women's Christmas tomorrow. We're back after the break. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today. Yesterday, if you're listening, you know we spoke to Councillor Richie Malloy about his concerns with the location of some speed vans. Uh, he was um, specifically talking talking about the Clonmel area. Uh, but we had a huge response from listeners about um, their frustration with speed vans in their areas as well. And Richie was claiming their positioning could be considered as a money-making exercise. Uh, Pat joins me on the line now to share his views. Pat, good morning. Morning, Good to talk to you this morning, Pat. What's your view on this? Would you consider speed vans and, and go-safe vans, I know is the proper term for them, would you consider them to be a money-making exercise? Sorry, Pat, could I interrupt you just for a second? I can't hear you very well. Is there... Sorry, the last thing there, um, the yeah. hour is a money-making exercise, and anybody that classes them as a money-making exercise is very much wrong. Any Anything at all that would reduce deaths on our roads um, and whatever uh, should be welcomed. And I, I'm appalled at what came out of this yesterday morning. I'm, first of all, and maybe I'm out of touch with this, if you got, for instance, a uh, cot with one of these vans, and I'm, maybe I'm out of touch, and you might clarify this for me, would your first port of call be to ring the local councillor to ensure that this is all quashed? Because I'm finding this disturbing, and I'm finding it disturbing that not alone Richie had, but the whole council were in support of this type of behaviour. Now, not alone was this um, message of this thing used, but also a council would actually go to the point of saying to that person, look, I totally agree, you shouldn't have got it, you drove recklessly, you disregarded all the uh, um, hazards that were there, 
and I'm in support of you, but actually the fact that I'm in support of you, I'm actually going to write to the Minister for Transport and uh, highlight this fact. I'm appalled at this type of behaviour, and with the stuff that came up in UL this morning, the poli- we're, we're bankrupt politically in this country, and this is basically, for a person that has worked in road safety for 15 years, we deal with a totally different way of things, um, and this would be a message for even UL and Limerick. We are proactive rather than reactive. We, Richie said this morning, sure, there's no accidents on that road. The way road safety works is we put in measures to prevent accidents. We don't wait for accidents to happen. And if this was done in UL and whatever, but what they're doing in UL is they're going to react. They're going to react when there's a lot of deaths. They're going to do something about it. And this is the political model we have. So what came out in relation to road safety yesterday morning doesn't surprise me because this is the way this country is run. It's run on reactive. We react when the thing is out of control. But Pat, the point that Richie was making was that, the re- and you're correct, the reason that these go-safe bans are in operation at all is to try and reduce road deaths. But yeah. how are you going to reduce road deaths in an area where there are no road deaths, where there, there but, isn't an issue there? There, there isn't an issue because the, what the van is there for, right, the position they're in, is they're saying that you're after driving for quite a bit um, uh, distance in a 50-kilometre zone. You've totally ignored all the hazards, even in relation to Water Road. You flew up past Duns, you flew up past Little, you flew up the water uh, thing, and you're still not getting the message that you're coming into a built-up area where there's an awful lot of hazards. There's a risk that you could knock somebody down. You could have an old person pulling out at Duns or Little with maybe limited um, vision, and you're ignoring all this and the speed van is there to basically say, hold on a minute now, if you think you're going to go into a built-up area where there's an awful lot of hazards and you're going to drive in this manner with over the speed limit, uh, we need to start getting a message here. But you're arguing a hypothetical, and it's now a no, hypothetical because hypothetical. the statistics would show that in the majority of the areas where GoSafe vans are operating, they are not accident black spot areas. You see, Richie misled people yesterday in saying that these vans were put there in accident black spot. These vans are put there where there is going to be a potential for an accident. No, no. When they first came into being, it was we were told that they were going to be placed in accident black spots. Yeah, well that's at first, but like uh, in relation to the Cashel Road, and I walk along the Cashel Road and I see the speed that these uh, vehicles are travelling at. More so coming out of the town. They're coming up Cashel Road, they there's housing estates, there's uh, sports complex, there's crashes, whatever, and these people are driving at speed way over the limit, that if some child walked out on that road, not in a million years would they stop. And if anybody that knows that got proper driving lessons, you should be driving at a speed that you can stop your distance, your, your vehicle in the distance, you can see to be clear. So if a child walks out there, can you stop your vehicle? No. Right, the child hasn't walked out yet. We have the speed wagon. The speed van is basically saying, if you think you're going to drive up and down this road every day recklessly, totally disregarding any road safety measures, we're going to give you a clear message. The best thing ever was done was these vans because what these vans do is they take out the likes of political interference in the system. These vans but are But they've privatised it. They have privatised it and it is a good thing. And anybody that speaks 
in uh, against these speed vans that have a hidden agenda and I don't wish to get into this for Would you not reason. think that anything that's privatised is then by virtue turned into a money-making exercise because normally it's not it done out of public service, it's done to make money? No, normally business. it is and I totally agree and you had an instructor on there yesterday morning about the RSA. The RSA, because they're privatised, hasn't worked out okay overall. Right, but as I said, the privatising of these vans um, has basically, and you have to get the message across. Like, and these vans are strategically put in a place where there is going to be a potential for an accident. Even where they are now on the Cashel Road, there's industrial estates, there's fast food places, there's uh, um, tire places, there's people pulling out of all these. You cannot drive up there totally reckless. Now, even coming down from Cashel, the first warning you get coming down that hill is at the top of our gear and if you haven't got the message going down along with a flashing um, thing telling you you're over the speed there's something wrong but when when you actually get to the, the van you're basically told look you need to get a message here clear, loud and clear Okay. And like, Just hold is, the line there, James joins us as well on the line. James, good morning to you Hi James, are you there? Good morning, how are you? Good to talk to you, James. Um, I th- I'm sure you've been listening to what Pat is saying. Would you agree or disagree? I disagree with a lot of it. Um, now, the speed vans are obviously needed because there is a problem there with speeding, but um, I agree with what you were saying. It's, it's just where they locate them. Um, I mean, I, I come across them there where they, they'd have them maybe 10 metres, 20 metres inside um, where you just have a change of uh, speed zone. And that to me is just to try and catch somebody. Um, it's it's like a case of like a, a traffic warden. <coughs> Excuse me, traffic warden's job is to keep uh, traffic moving, not to go you know and keep waste some, here. Some, some some side side street and they see one car there. Oh, we'll take a ticket on that. I, I I think just the location that they, that they have the uh, speed vans in. Is, yeah, it's suspicious. Because, yeah, yeah. Pat, what would you say to that? Officially, like, what I'm that. saying is, you're misinformed. That like James is given a thing that you're only just going to, uh, inside that thing. You're not. As I said to you, even in the Cashel Road, you're at the top of our gear. There's a very large distance there that you have travelled. You've come into a roundabout at high speed. You've disregarded the road safety. You're probably not observing properly. You're probably going to cause an accident there someday. So you're getting a message at the very top of our gear before you ever get near that round, before you ever get near that band, to this thing that was put in a place where you just hit into it. That's totally wrong. These fans, even the two we're talking about in Davis Road and whatever, Davis Road, you have it, I'd say, before Moon Jarrah round about a 50 kilometres. So like you have a large distance. So this thing that um, they're just inside, that's total and utter bull. Like, no, no, not really. No. <laughs> it, is, it is a fact now, and I'm talking, like, as I said, for somebody that worked in road safety. Now, what I will say is the road policing uh, units are doing a fantastic job, and even that... Uh, uh, team in care uh, doing fantastic work. But what happens in this country, and I see it from road safety, is people push things to the limit. And where you have an awful lot, and I think it's mostly policing, um, police are doing it, is even in the Borough Hill to Limerick. Yeah. When you improve the road, people drive faster. Okay, James, can I bring it? We're just running out of time. I want to give you the last word on it, James. Yeah, no, the, the, officially the, the fans are supposed to be there. Um, in an area where there's a speed-related accident, um, that an injury or death occurred, 
that's that's why they were they were brought in. But I've seen them, you know, they just as, as I said earlier, they're ten, fifteen meters inside. Like if you go from say fifty kilometer zone, and suddenly you're into an eighty kilometer zone, right? Mm. And you're you're caught doing sixty, sixty five kilometers inside that, you know. Um, you're done for 160 euros straight away I'm fine. yeah for what you know for what, what I mean? might be a minor infraction I'll have to leave it there gentlemen but thank you for joining us this morning that's Pat and James and I'm sure it's uh, it's a topic that we'll, we'll probably cover in our Friday panel as well tomorrow uh, so we will continue that conversation but for this morning we're at a timeout I'm afraid so thanks very much for joining us to all our contributors today everyone who called and text we're back with you again tomorrow from 9am thanks to Emma on the phones Stephen is up next with the lunchtime show whatever you're doing for the rest of your Thursday afternoon. Enjoy. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.